the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. All right. It's final day of the week, Friday. We tend to uh, talk a little bit about what's going on at the theater as far as movies are concerned. And, uh, you know, get you said if you want to go out and catch a movie or whatever over uh, the weekend. I went last night and uh, saw the movie Dark Phoenix. Uh, this is supposed to be the final X-Men movie. You know, there it is. It did set itself up for a sequel, but I don't think that you're ever going to see it. We don't know yet, you know, when the whole X-Men thing will uh, be smoothed out by Disney so that they can make another one. So we'll just have to have to wait around. Uh, the X-Men franchise has been an on again, off again, good, bad uh, type of a franchise. Some of the movies, very good. X-Men 2, United, was really uh, a great movie. Uh, Singer's probably best movie that he made as far as the X-Men was con, uh, concerned. Days of Future Past was really good. Uh, but uh, a lot of the other ones were okay or subpar. So I, I entered into the theater last night hoping for the best and uh, came away from seeing the movie with a solid B rating for it uh, in mind. Uh, I talked, I was talking with Zach, and I'll get him in here if I can here in a few minutes, just talk to him a little bit about his thoughts about the movie. I I, I got a chance to talk with him a little earlier Uh he had a little problem with some of the, the plot line, which I did too. Uh, but my thought was that it took a little, it was, uh, it was slow going at the beginning. I thought it was really slow going. And I also thought the whole hashtag me too over the top statement uh, at the beginning of the movie by uh, Jennifer Lawrence who plays Raven uh, in the in the movie it was ridiculous. Where she looks at uh, uh, Xavier and, and says to him, "Maybe we sh- you shouldn't be the X Men. It should be the X Women, you know, because women are the ones that are saving the day." And I thought, "Oh, please, can Hollywood not not keep away from shooting itself in the foot?" Which uh, which they definitely did there. Put put the movie on, I, I thought, a bad a bad course. It, you know, it, it's not a bad movie. It's, a, it's an entertaining movie, especially with Magneto. He's really entertaining in this movie. He's got his own school for uh, mutants going on, which is kind of interesting. Uh, the, dream, the Jean Grey uh, character who is what the movie revolves around. Uh, it was a, a comic book arc, The Dark Phoenix was, uh, 
uh, in the comics, uh, I think in the 90s, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, they do an all right job of telling, but I'm, I'm kind of like, I'm kind of like with Zach. There's a group of aliens in this movie. And in fact, the, the head alien played by Jessica Chastain uh, just has more to offer that they don't mine anything on it. They don't give you anything to deal with her, and you just got to kind of accept it for kind of what it is. I mean, there's like, for instance, let me give you an, an inconsistency in the movie. The beginning of the movie, there is an a an apparent malfunction. The movie starts off in the 90s, by the way. There is a malfunction in the space shuttle. The X-Men, Xavier says, hey, look, we need to, we're going to send you guys up there in the, uh, the X-plane. Let's just call it that. And uh, we need to save the astronauts. So they're on their way up there. And uh, they make a big point of saying that this could be a life or death situation for the X-Men. That the plane is not made to go out into outer space. But there's no problems at all with the plane going into outer space. Not anything. There's no tension built for that at all, as though, you know, that the uh, best way to say it is that the MacGuffin that they throw into it. It's a red herring. It's not there. They get out there to help. Something happens to, you know, the Jean Grey while they're out there, and they say that she's, you know, has a problem with solar radiation, solar with a solar flare, a la kind of like the Hulk, Bruce Banner. And then we find out later it's really not, I guess, uh, a solar flare at all, but some kind of alien intelligence. Best way I can figure it out. Um, you might go so far as to say it is a uh, physical manifestation of God is kind of what it is which I found a little bit, uh, well, it was alarming because they don't do anything with it. It it would be, a, if, you, if you took the belief of what is being presented on the screen, uh, I guess it would be an agnostic. This is what God would be like if he created the universe and just left it to be on its own. Kind of a, agnosticism being perpetuated in the movie. And I know for, you know, a lot of people that it, most of you are not even going to, that doesn't, you know, bother you at all. It's just that I, I kind of see this stuff all the time it bothers me and that, uh, people on the left and Holly weird, uh, want to promote that agenda and shouldn't surprise me. But it, it surprises me at, at how, it's the best way to put this, how they they make it so easy to see. It's not hidden in any way, shape, or form. It's there. And as the movie goes on, it's it's 
uh, you know, more and more pronounced as uh, as that story about the energy is there. But later, I'll just tell you, there's, late, there's something that comes up later in the movie that uh, is is shown, and you go, wait a second. If that's the case, how come we didn't know about it before? And you know what? I, I'm I'm trying to keep from doing any spoilers. And and you're going to go when you see this, you'll remember what I've just said. And you're going to say, "Man, they just stuck that in there to help uh, you know propel the story along, and to try to you know fill up some plot holes." that are there so you know there's there's some it's it's really an if and not so if kind of movie it's it's i i'm not going to tell you you're wasting your money because it's a fun movie to watch the last third of it is very very entertaining but as you watch the movie you're going to get tired of the preaching I do believe. Thank God one character um, gets knocked off early on, and I'm so glad because I don't think I could have put up with any more from them. So bottom line, I'll give it a solid B, just in that it's a movie, and when you watch a movie, uh, you should be entertained. And I think this movie entertains you. However, I will tell you that... uh, I don't buy all the the uh, philosophical crap that they put in this movie, and and that and that's something to take into uh, consideration. I will say, here's what I really liked about the movie: the X Men comics had a lot of specific characters that got a lot of comic time. Time. Some of those people in the Singer-made X-Men movies got no time hardly at all. One of those is Cyclops, you know, Scott Summer in the comics. From what I've read over time, Singer did not like Cyclops, and I have no idea why, but he didn't give him any kind of uh, time in the comics all or in the first movies he was there he played a very small part he's a huge part of uh, the x-men in fact i would say for most x-men fans from the beginning um he was one of the main characters that that readers liked and then Wolverine came along, and, and he was another character that people liked. Now, for whatever reason, Singer really liked Wolverine. And so Wolverine was written into being the stronger character for his movies. But Summer was really important as Cyclops and the whole uh, you know, canon of the X-Men comics. So I'm really happy to see in this movie 
that the director and the writer wrote a huge part for Summers and and Cyclops. He played uh, a huge part in this movie and does a and and the guy who plays him does a really good uh, part. I will let you know when you're watching the movie. You know Halle Berry's not in this uh, movie. She doesn't play Storm. There's another woman who plays Storm. But man, check out how she looks exactly like Halle Berry. It's amazing. Um, I've read articles also, and I was talking to Zach today, and he was talking to me about it. Femke uh, Jack, uh, uh, you know, the lady who played Jean Grey in the original X-Men movies, as I, uh, let me pull this up real quick for you, for, for me, just so I can go back and, and take a look at it, is, you know, there's a, a question of why they didn't bring uh, uh, Frankie Jansen back. They went, you know, a lot younger, and they they took the uh, the woman who played Sansa on uh, Game of Thrones to play this part. I'm going to just tell you what: it's too bad they didn't use Jansen. Jansen's just a better actor. I think the movie would have been a lot more solid with her in the role uh, than who they brought in to play the role this time. I'm glad that they didn't go back to Ian McKellen to play Eric, uh, that they uh, they kept it, uh, you know, a little younger by bringing in uh, Fassbender again. He did a great job as Eric, as Magneto. So overall, B, you like the movie. You're going to see the, the, the holes in the plot. I can't can't cover that up. You'll see some of the the leftist ranting that they want to do in this by one who has become a big lefty out in Hollywood, which is sad to say. And um, but the action is good, CGI is good. Uh, you know, Fastbender is really good. McAvoy's good as uh, you know Professor X. Cyclops is good. Beast is good. All those. Characters are very good. Uh, a wasted effort for Quicksilver. He shows up, and then they just kind of drop him off in the middle of the movie, and you never see him again. Don't understand about that. Same thing with some aliens that are in this movie. There's one particular alien that seems to be playing a big part, and then all of a sudden his part is just good. Jessica Chastain is the main alien, does a nice job of acting as well. Get a B. You could spend your money worse. Uh, enjoy the film. It's it uh, in the pantheon of X Men movies. It'll be in the of the ten or as the twelve movies now. It'll be down around number nine or or number ten. It's the Dave Ellswick show. Let's move to go see. I'm just saying. I it's not going to be number one at the box office. Everybody thinks that just because it's a Marvel movie, it's going to be number one. No, 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 no. Life of Pets two. It's going to be huge at the box office for the kids. It will sell more tickets than the X-Men movie uh, will do. All right, 22 after 2. Let's get a break in here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, back with you. Uh, looking at IMDb, they give uh, Dark Phoenix about a 6 out of 10. Eh, I think that's a little low. I think it deserves, uh, like I said, a B. Um, I would say I would put it at, at an 8, uh, but... Uh, 
A lot of the people here, let me just read some of this. It says totally flat. And so we, here we are at the end of the road for the X-Men franchise produced by Fox. I don't think this was supposed to be the case. However, when with Disney spending mega bucks to buy 21st century Fox, I can only see the next appearance from the uh, famous mutant team being within the MCU whenever that may come. Simon Kinberg has been on board the franchise for a while now, having multiple writing and producing duties throughout. He makes the step up to directorial duties with Dark Phoenix after a mission to rescue astronauts goes wrong. Gene Gray finds her powers enhanced by a solar flare. That's where I will leave this. The most frustrating thing about Dark Phoenix is just how dull it all is. And that's what I told Zach. I told him I thought that it got off to a slow start. After you get about 55% into the movie, it picks up speed. But it, it, it just feels like everybody's going through the motions uh, until that point. It closes the uh, Fox X-Men franchise with a bit of a whimper rather than a triumphant flourish. This arc from the comics is supposedly iconic for the character, yet there's no sense of that at all. Kenberg's writing and directing just feeling flat from start to finish. I won't go that far, but it's pretty flat at the beginning. The action sequences saved for the finale aboard a train lack the excitement that usually makes these films entertaining at the very least. Impressive effects can't even mask the fact the action beats uh, feel uninspired. Hans Zimmer's score doesn't even have the power to add much to proceedings either, which I never thought I'd say myself about that great composer. Uh, Some other things, uh, some other ones uh, that are out there. Let me give you some more. To be honest, I wasn't expecting more. From uh, this uh, $200 million movie, the story was okay, but the acting was very wooden. I've already referred to you that Sophie Tucker, I don't think, did a a great job acting as Jean Grey, and Framke Jansen would probably have been better, but, you know, they wanted to go younger, so they did with Sophie Tucker. Another one says, there was no force of attraction Normally, I look out for screenplay on action hero movie. However, bad story is screenplay always saves it. This movie had a usual story and a bad screenplay. Uh, Compared to this, The Last Stand was awesome. This movie is simply horrible, said this uh, person, uh, viewer. As of the writing of this review, Dark Phoenix holds a bewilderingly low rating of 22%. Even on IMDb, I see some disparagingly negative reviews that do not even specify what they particularly disliked about the film. Frankly, I don't intend to sugarcoat my review so as to counterbalance the low score derived from these reviews. Rather, I hope to give the movie a fair chance and undermine the undeserved hate. Now, if we are to focus solely on the X-Men films, and not the solo Wolverine Deadpool vehicles. I'd say X2 is still the best one of them, with Future Pass and First Class being close competitors. However, I think it can be agreed that Apocalypse was an absolute bore, if not an abomination like X3. However, my point is 
If that even apocalypse could acquire 47%, I fail to see what upended Dark Phoenix with a pathetic 22%. I think that's going to go up a little bit, but I'm just telling you, it's it's not one of the better uh, X-Men movies. Just want to warn you about that when you go see it, but it's worth the money. It really is. Let's get to the news, and we'll come back, talk some more. All right, going back and uh, and looking again at these uh, various uh, viewers of the new Dark Phoenix saga, um, I'll be honest, I there's one in here that kind of sums it up the same way I summed it up. Let, let me just give you what this one says here. Let me bring it up. A decent, enjoyable X-Men romp that doesn't deserve the the very low ratings that it's getting. I'm Anybody who says this is a one, two, three, or four is just hating on the movie to be hating on the movie. Okay, I'm, I'm just being honest. There's, there's a lot of bad blood about the X-Men franchise and uh, there's a lot of people letting it all out. Uh, it says that it's, you know, the, this goes back talking about the 22% that was given uh, to this. Uh, I agree with the reviewer when they say, I think that they missed a a really good opportunity to make Jessica Chastain more intimidating as a villain. And I agree with that. Uh, She could have been a whole lot more intimidating. She don't get intimidating until the last third of the movie. Uh, There's some cringeworthy moments in the first act But the main catalyst for those scenes, thankfully, and I kind of alluded to this, uh, is removed from the script before the second act starts, which makes me wonder if the actor that's removed from the movie at that point really didn't want to be in this movie in the first place. So uh, though the movie's not a masterpiece, as uh, I say, nor is it the best X-Men movie, uh, if all you want is a decent, enjoyable theater exper- uh, experience where you can momentarily forget your somewhat uneventful life and focus on some effective PG-13 fantasy, then Dark Phoenix won't be a bad recommendation to you. I think that's probably the best way to look at it. Is it entertaining? Yeah, I think it's entertaining. Uh, is it the best X-Men movie? No, it's not. Dark Phoenix is not. Uh, it's a comic book arc. Art that came out in the early 80s is what it is. And maybe because it's so well known, people have gotten tired of the way they've played around the Dark Phoenix type storyline. I mean, even when Frankie Jansen was in it, they played around with that. I think it's really great that they've gone back to Scott Summers and, and, and Gene Gray love interest because that's the way it really should be not Wolverine and G Jean gray. And I'm just saying it's, um, it's an all right movie. You'll enjoy it. You know, don't, don't let the people who are giving it one, two and three and four stars, uh, you know, keep you from going, go see it. What you want to, you wanted to put something into there, Russ, go ahead. Well, I'm just, I'm just having a hard time with, with something because my, my storyline of the, the previous series of movies was that, uh, the Jean Grey died. 
Yeah. And Scott died. Yeah, and, well, that's because Singer didn't like him. I mean, he was never in any of, uh, of Singer's movies uh, a main character in the X-Men. And I still, to this day, don't understand what he had against that character. But it was the only thing that was left out there of her was some of her consciousness. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what she developed into in the comics. That was the key to it. Like I said, they've, they've told the Dark Phoenix saga before. Now you get it again. I think maybe this time they told it a little bit better than they did earlier. And in the earlier saga, you know, basically it was like Wolverine going crazy because his unrequited uh, love died. Wolverine, I just, for the life of me, and I wrote, read X-Men forever, I always thought Scott Summer was the biggest love interest of Jean Grey's life. Oh, I agree. And, uh, you know, there there may have been some flirtation there between Wolverine and Jean Grey, but uh, Scott Summers was, the, uh, was her love interest. Yeah, yeah. I, and then several people saying Fassbender's not all that good. They're out of their mind. Fassbender is one of the highlights of the movie, as far as I'm concerned. He was really good as Magneto. I like Fassbender. I wonder what's he got coming up here in the in the future. Now, this movie was supposed to come out last year, and they went in for some rewrites and reshoots, and it's evident that they tried to fix some things, no doubt about that. Uh, okay, he is in the remake of The Wild Bunch. Um, what a, what a great movie that is, uh, about, uh, the American bandits, uh, trying to stay away from bounty hunters. It was a movie made back in 69. It's one of my favorite Westerns directed by Sam Peckinpah. Listen, Hey, you want to hear something cool? Let me just digress for a minute. Here who's here is who is in the wild bunch. You ready for this Russ? I want you to close your eyes and let me read. The actors, Peter Dinklage, Michael Fassbender, and uh, Jamie Foxx, directed by Mel Gibson. I'm just saying, it's going to be a fun one. It's going to be a fun one to, to see on the big screen. But those are the three, Dinklage, Fassbender, and Fox are all going to be in that movie. And, uh, I hope, you know, if you saw the original William Holden, I think that you'll, I, this sounds, this sounds good. And Peck and Paul having that, that, uh, you know, in your face violence that he did. Uh, Gibson is the same way directing. So it will be interesting to see how, uh, that all works out in this remake of uh, The Wild Bunch. Uh, let's see, what else did he had coming up? He had a couple other ones. Uh, Kung Fury 2, and another one, which I, I'm not, not exactly sure what it's going to be, is he plays Jack Underweger in Entering Hades. Another one he's going to be uh, in. For uh, the movie called uh, Kung Fury 2, an action comedy, by the way, will uh, be Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, 
Isa Gonzalez, Michael Fassbender, and David Hasseldorf, uh, Hasseldorf from, uh, of course, Baywatch. That, <laughs> it should be pretty funny. I think that set up for comedy, that should be pretty good to say the least. All right, let's take, uh, let's get our last break in this hour. When we come back, I'll tell you a couple other movies that are out this weekend that you want, one that you're going to want to take your kids to, a couple of movies uh, from last week that are still out there. You should be wanting to go. I'm taking my grandson. I see Godzilla, Rocketman still out there. So is Brightburn. We'll talk about all of that when we come back on the, uh, the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, so I think I've said enough about Dark Phoenix. Uh enjoyable movie you'll you'll have fun buy a big box of of popcorn get yourself something to drink and sit down and enjoy the film it's not shakespeare i'm just going to tell you that right now and it's not the best x-men movie made all right some other movies that are out there uh, these came in last weekend godzilla king of the monsters still playing in uh thousands of uh, movie theaters all over the land lots of movie theaters here in central Arkansas. I went and saw that movie. If you're a Godzilla fan like I am, now I love Godzilla. I I have two big monsters that I love, Godzilla and King Kong, which sets me up now for next year when Godzilla versus King Kong. Uh, And the last time that they met in a movie was in 1963 in a Toho classic. That's one of the dumbest movies that you'll ever see, but a fun movie to watch nonetheless, being a Toho movie and, you got people running around in, in costumes, not CGI, uh, as uh, the monsters. Uh, was kind of crazy. I remember they brought uh, King Kong in to take on Godzilla. They floated him in on helium balloons. I remember that part of that movie. Uh, I think the next movie is going to be a real a great throwdown, you know, that you're going to see. Kind of like The Undertaker taking on Steve Austin or Steve Austin and The Rock getting it on during the day. Uh, Other movies that are still out there, Ma is out there, which uh, I have not seen, but the people I've talked to that I look to to give me a a real good heads-up look at a movie say that it is highly entertaining. And then one that I was talking uh, with Blake Woodson about, after I left Godzilla, Shane and I went and saw Godzilla together. He really liked it, as I did. Uh, and I'm going to talk about it in the final hours today, Godzilla, because I want to talk about the uh, um, Christian allegory that you'll find sprinkled through the movie. Kind of interesting. I found that interesting. I think it would be fun to talk about it a little bit. But the movie that he went and saw with his son uh, last Thursday night, was Rocket Man, the new movie about Elton John, and he was raving about it and saying that it was very, very good. Uh, you, if you've seen it, you want to talk about it, I'd be willing to put you on and let you tell listeners what to, to expect from it. Uh, opening this weekend is Dark Phoenix, and then the other big one, and this is the one that I expect to be number one at the box office. Dark Phoenix is opening at uh, three on uh, three thousand seven hundred and twenty-one screens, while The Secret Life of Pets Two, uh, which is an animated feature from Universal, is uh, opening on 
4,561 screens. I expect it to be number one at the box office. I think uh, it did so well uh, last year, or maybe it was two years ago, uh, that I think a lot of people are going to turn out for it. It's a great family entertainment. It'll be a whole lot of fun to watch. And uh, I'm, I mean, I'm going to get out and see it as well. I want to, I want to see this movie uh, also. So just to let you know, Secret Life of Pets 2 is out. Now, looking at uh, some of the local theaters, I always uh, take a look at what uh, Matt says. Matt was supposed to be here, but he is in the last moments of opening all those new theaters up down at Hot Springs, and he could not pour, uh, pull himself away from down at Hot Springs uh, to, to, to do that. So looking at, uh, you know, up in Cabot, and what to expect uh, from there as far as the movies playing tonight. Let me give you the rundown on the movies. They bring it up now. Uh, Life Pets 2, Dark Phoenix, Rocket Man, Godzilla, Ma, and Aladdin are the movies playing in Cabot. So you got a couple of really good family films there with uh, Life of Pets 2 and uh, Aladdin. You got some good fantasy movies in Dark Phoenix and Godzilla. And then you've got, uh, of course, Rocket Man and Ma uh, playing as well. So you got some really uh, good films there. At uh, Riverdale... Going there and seeing what uh, they're featuring at Riverdale 10. Let me bring it up real quickly here for us. I got it now. Here's what's uh, playing over at uh, the Riverdale 10. Nonfiction, Dark Phoenix, uh, Life of Pets 2, The Tomorrow Man, Rocket Man, Godzilla, Ma, Aladdin, a movie I haven't seen, but I've heard good things about Booksmart, also playing. Uh, the Tomorrow Man uh, is is uh, Ed Hemsley spends his life preparing for a disaster that may never come. Ronnie Meisner spends her life shopping for things she may never use. In a small town somewhere in America, these two people will try to find love while trying not to get lost in each other's stuff. Got a great cast with John Lithgow and Blythe Danner. Uh, two very good actors that uh, would say that if I was looking to go out and see a movie and uh, you know didn't know much about just knowing that those two were in it would probably make it uh, a good one to go see. John Wick 3 still playing over at Riverdale 10, as is in-game uh, with the Avengers. Booksmart uh, is uh, two academic teenage superstars realize on the eve of their high school graduation that they should have worked less and played more. Determined to never fall short of their peers, the girls set out on a mission to cram four years of fun into one night. Sounds like uh, 
for teenagers and uh, 20-somethings, even 30-somethings would be a movie that would be a good one for you to go see and, and check out. So those are the movies that are at Riverdale 10. Uh, up in Searcy, checking out the Searcy Cinema. Let's take a look what's playing there real quickly. And uh, playing up at Searcy are going to be Rocket Man, John Wick 3, The Life of Pets 2, Dark Phoenix, Aladdin. And we've got Avengers Endgame, Godzilla, and Ma. So that's, uh, that's all the movies that are playing up in the Searcy uh, area. By the way, if you've not been to Matt's theaters in a while, let me tell you that he is giving you a great movie experience now. Uh, he's got the leather recliners and uh, all the theaters and Cabot in uh, Riverdale 10 at Hot Springs as well as up uh, in Searcy. He's still shy, a couple of theaters there. Got great food there uh, that you can get. I I don't know I've I've tried to pry this out of him but to find out where he buys his uh, his popcorn but his popcorn is really really good uh, I look forward to seeing uh, the movies and eating his popcorn when I go go out there to to see that uh, uh, in Hot Springs I shouldn't forget Hot Springs what they're going to be showing there in Hot Springs Cinema, and uh, we're looking here in the, uh, what do they got showing? Okay, I don't see any list of their movies today. All right, so I'm going to assume Dark, you know, Dark Phoenix going there, Life of Pets 2, probably Godzilla. That's three movies I can probably tell you that'll be playing there at the theater. They're working hard on finishing up uh, the the theater at this time is what they're uh, trying to do. So just know that. Still putting in seats, getting it all ready to go, knocking the dust off of uh, armrests and things of that nature. That's where Matt's at right now, working hard, doing, doing this thing there. Hey, coming up in the next hour, I'm going to play uh, President Trump's speech on D-Day uh, I, I've got the uh, the sound from that. It was a little late in coming to us, but we've got it. And um, all of us have probably heard a few pieces of it, but it was so well received that uh, you need to hear the whole thing. We want to play it all for you. Uh, it's one of the best speeches the president's given in a while. Uh, a lot of World War II vets were there. Did you did you see the the clip of that ninety three year old uh, D Day vet hitting on the president's wife? It was hilarious. I didn't see the clip. I saw some pictures and stories, but I didn't see the. Yeah, you got I'm sure that's out out there. It, it's hilarious, Russ. You'll you'll love it. It's it's really really funny. The guys is is goofing, of course, and but it's really good. And the president got a got a belly laugh out of it. So did his wife. Uh, really, really interesting. All right, little baseball for you. Cubs three, cards zip. 
<laughs> Ralph just looks like you got to mention it, so don't you? What? <laughs> I, know you do. I knew you would look at me and go, "Okay, he's already starting to rub it in." Yeah. <laughs> oh, rub it, rub it. I yeah, 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 I know you don't care. You haven't really been following baseball this year. You've what? been you've been like a a one legged man in a butt kicking contest around here. You haven't had time to even pay any attention to baseball. You actually noticed that? Um, well, yeah, that's why I'm trying to trying to give you. You're some, trying uh, to give me an excuse, is what you're trying no, to do. No, I'm trying to say that our listeners should know how hard you work to keep things going here and making us sound as good as we do. I don't know how good we sound. I'm trying, but we're yeah. sounding pretty doggone good, brother. We Kinda really like are. My Christian walk, I fail every day. Well, just like baseball. If you hit three hundred, everybody there thinks okay, how look, good you are. You said it enough. <laughs> three to nothing. No, no, no. Fine. I was going to break down. Congratulations, say, your Cubs are whooping when you us play, right now. When you play baseball, you fail more than you succeed. You know, a lot of people don't realize that about baseball. It's the only sport that you know. That's the way it is. You fail more than you receive. Uh, think about that. The last four hundred hitter was Ted Williams. Four hundred. That means you got to. A hit four times out of every ten times at the plate, and he's thought of one of the greatest hitters of all time. Says a lot about baseball. All right, a break. We'll come back. President Trump at D-Day ceremonies. All right, back with you. We wanted to play this yesterday since yesterday was the 75th anniversary of D-Day, but this was not available to us. We just played the uh, the reading of FDR's prayer Uh, by the president at the D-Day ceremony. So uh, let's play his speech yesterday from the 75th D-Day ceremonies uh, that occurred yesterday over in France. President Macron, Mrs. Macron, and the people of France, to the First Lady of the United States and members of the United States Congress. To distinguished guests, veterans, and my fellow Americans, we are gathered here on freedom's altar, on these shores, on these bluffs, on this day 75 years ago. 10,000 men shed their blood and thousands sacrificed their lives for their brothers, for their countries, and for the survival of liberty. Today we remember those who fell and we honor all who fought right here in Normandy. They won back this ground for civilization to more than 170 veterans of the Second World War who join us today, you are among the very greatest Americans who will ever live. You are the pride of our nation. You are the glory of our republic. And we thank you from the bottom of our hearts.
Here with you are over 60 veterans who landed on D-Day. Our debt to you is everlasting. Today we express our undying gratitude. When you were young, these men enlisted their lives in a great crusade, one of the greatest of all times. Their mission is the story of an epic battle and the ferocious, eternal struggle between good and evil. On the 6th of June, 1944, they joined a liberation force of awesome power and breathtaking scale. After months of planning, the Allies had chosen this ancient coastline to mount their campaign to vanquish the wicked tyranny of the Nazi Empire from the face of the Earth. The battle began in the skies above us. In those first tense midnight hours, 1,000 aircraft roared overhead with 17,000 Allied airborne troops preparing to leap into the darkness beyond these trees. Then came dawn. The enemy who had occupied these heights saw the largest naval armada in the history of the world. Just a few miles offshore were 7,000 vessels bearing 130,000 warriors. They were the citizens of free and independent nations united by their duty to their compatriots into millions yet unborn. There were the British whose nobility and fortitude saw them through the worst of Dunkirk and the London Blitz. The full violence of Nazi fury was no match for the full grandeur of British pride. Thank you. There were the Canadians whose robust sense of honor and loyalty compelled them to take up arms alongside Britain from the very, very beginning. There were the fighting Poles, the tough Norwegians, and the intrepid Aussies. There were the gallant French commandos, soon to be met by thousands of their brave countrymen ready to write a new chapter in the long history of French valor. And finally, there were the Americans. They came from the farms of a vast heartland, the streets of glowing cities and the forges of mighty industrial towns. Before the war, many had never ventured beyond their own community. Now they had come to offer their lives half a world from home. This beach, codenamed Omaha, was defended by the Nazis with monstrous firepower, thousands and thousands of mines and spikes driven into the sand so deeply. 
It was here that tens of thousands of the Americans came. The GIs who boarded the landing craft that morning knew that they carried on their shoulders not just the pack of a soldier, but the fate of the world. Colonel George Taylor, whose 16th Infantry Regiment would join in the first wave, was asked what would happen if the Germans stopped right then and there, cold on the beach, just stopped them. What would happen? This great American replied, why, the 18th Infantry is coming in right behind us. The 26th Infantry will come on too. Then there is the 2nd Infantry Division, already afloat. And the 9th Division, and the 2nd Armored, and the 3rd Armored, and all the rest. Maybe the 16th won't make it, but someone will. One of those men in Taylor's 16th Regiment was Army medic Ray Lambert. Ray was only 23, but he had already earned three Purple Hearts and two Silver Stars fighting in North Africa and Sicily, where he and his brother Bill, no longer with us, served side by side. In the early morning hours, the two brothers stood together on the deck of the USS Henrico before boarding two separate Higgins landing craft. If I don't make it, Bill said, please, please take care of my family. Ray asked his brother to do the same. Of the 31 men on Ray's landing craft, only Ray and six others made it to the beach. There were only a few of them left. They came to the sector right here below us. Easy Red, it was called. Again and again, Ray ran back into the water. He dragged out one man after another. He was shot through the arm. His leg was ripped open by shrapnel. His back was broken. He nearly drowned. He had been on the beach for hours, bleeding and saving lives, when he finally lost consciousness. He woke up the next day on a cot beside another badly wounded soldier. He looked over and saw his brother Bill. They made it, they made it, they made it. At 98 years old, Ray is here with us today with his fourth Purple Heart and his third Silver Star from Omaha. Ray, the free world salutes you. Nearly two hours in, Unrelenting fire from these bluffs kept the Americans pinned down on the sand, now red with our hero's blood. Then, just a few hundred yards from where I'm standing, a breakthrough came. The battle turned, and with it, history. Down on the beach, Captain Joe Dawson, 
the son of a Texas preacher, led Company G through a minefield to a natural fold in the hillside, still here. Just beyond this path, to my right, Captain Dawson snuck beneath an enemy machine gun perch and tossed his grenades. Soon, American troops were charging up Dawson's draw. What a job he did. What bravery he showed. Lieutenant Spaulding and the men from Company E moved on to crush the enemy's strong point on the far side of this cemetery and stop the slaughter on the beach below. Countless more Americans poured out across this ground all over the countryside. They joined fellow American warriors from Utah Beach and allies from Juneau, sword and gold, along with the airborne and the French patriots. Private First Class Russell Pickett of the 29th Division's famed 116th Infantry Regiment had been wounded in the first wave that landed on Omaha Beach. At a hospital in England, Private Pickett vowed to return to battle. I'm going to return, he said. I'm going to return. Six days after D-Day, he rejoined his company. Two-thirds had been killed already. Many had been wounded within 15 minutes of the invasion. They lost 19 just from the small town of Bedford, Virginia alone. Before long, a grenade left Private Pickett, and he was gravely wounded, so badly wounded. Again, he chose to return. He didn't care. He had to be here. He was then wounded a third time and laid unconscious for 12 days. They thought he was gone. They thought he had no chance. Russell Pickett is the last known survivor of the legendary Company A. And today, believe it or not, he has returned once more to these shores to be with his comrades. Private Pickett, you honor us all with your presence. Tough guy. <laughs> By the fourth week of August, Paris was liberated.
Some were landed here, pushed all the way to the center of Germany. Some threw open the gates of Nazi concentration camps to liberate Jews who had suffered the bottomless horrors of the Holocaust. And some warriors fell on other fields of battle, returning to rest on this soil for eternity. Before this place was consecrated to history, the land was owned by a French farmer, a member of the French resistance. These were great people. These were strong and tough people. His terrified wife waited out D-Day in a nearby house, holding tight to their little baby girl. The next day, a soldier appeared. I'm an American, he said. I'm here to help. The French woman was overcome with emotion and cried. Days later, she laid flowers on fresh American graves. Today, her granddaughter, Stephanie, serves as a guide at this cemetery. This week, Stephanie led 92-year-old Marion Wynn of California to see the grave of her brother, Don, for the very first time. Marion and Stephanie are both with us today, and we thank you for keeping alive the memories of our precious heroes. Thank you. Nine thousand three hundred and eighty-eight young Americans rest beneath the white crosses and stars of David, arrayed on these beautiful grounds. Each one has been adopted by a French family that thinks of him as their own. They come from all over France to look after our boys. They kneel, they cry, they pray, they place flowers, and they never forget. Today, America embraces the French people and thanks you for honoring our beloved dead. Thank you. All right, we're going to come back after the news and finish up the president's speech from yesterday, 75th anniversary of D-Day, and 
just some really incredible stories that happened 75 years ago on those beaches. Absolutely incredible. That one about uh, the wife coming over um, and being shown the grave of her brother by a French woman is really, really moving. And then to hear the stories of uh, these veterans of D-Day, some who are still alive in their 90s and were there yesterday to hear the president talk about them. They didn't do it to have people talk about them, but they're talked about now because of the heroes that they were. Bradley said, General Bradley said that every man who stepped on the beach on D-Day was a hero. And I think that I would have to agree with that. That was a terrible, terrible day when they landed there on on Omaha Beach. That was that was rough, to say the least. All right, let's get to the news. We come back and we'll finish up with the president. So, if you haven't been with us and you just joined us because you're heading home uh, on a Friday. Uh, we got the last few moments, about eight minutes uh, total, of the president's speech yesterday at the commemoration of the 75th anniversary of D-Day there at Normandy in France. And uh, it's an outrageously good speech. If you get a chance, go to YouTube and check it out. And at, by watching it, you can see all of these great uh, heroes that the president is talking about. Let's finish up with uh, his speech, and then we'll come back here on the Dave Ellswick Show. To all of our friends and partners, our cherished alliance was forged in the heat of battle, tested in the trials of war, and proven in the blessings of peace. Our bond is unbreakable. From across the earth, Americans are drawn to this place as though it were a part of our very soul. We come not only because of what they did here, we come because of who they were. They were young men with their entire lives before them. They were husbands who said goodbye to their young brides and took their duty as their fate. They were fathers who would never meet their infant sons and daughters because they had a job to do. And with God as their witness, they were going to get it done. They came wave after wave without question, without hesitation, and without complaint. More powerful than the strength of American arms was the strength of American hearts. These men ran through the fires of hell, moved by a force no weapon could destroy. The fierce patriotism of a free, proud, and sovereign people. They battled not for control and domination, 
but for liberty, democracy, and self-rule. They pressed on for love and home and country, the main streets, the schoolyards, the churches, and neighbors, the families, and communities that gave us men such as these. They were sustained by the confidence that America can do anything because we are a noble nation with a virtuous people praying to a righteous God. The exceptional might came from a truly exceptional spirit. The abundance of courage came from an abundance of faith. The great deeds of an army came from the great depths of their love. As they confronted their fate, the Americans of the Allies placed themselves into the palm of God's hand. The men behind me will tell you that they are just the lucky ones. As one of them recently put it, all the heroes are buried here. But we know what these men did. We knew how brave they were. They came here and saved freedom. And then they went home and showed us all what freedom is all about. The American sons and daughters who saw us to victory were no less extraordinary in peace. They built families. They built industries. They built a national culture that inspired the entire world. In the decades that followed, America defeated communism, secured civil rights, revolutionized science, launched a man to the moon, and then kept on pushing to new frontiers. And today, America is stronger than ever before. Seven decades ago, the warriors of D-Day fought a sinister enemy who spoke of a thousand-year empire. In defeating that evil, they left a legacy that will last not only for a thousand years, but for all time. For as long as the soul knows of duty and honor, for as long as freedom keeps its hold on the human heart. To the men who sit behind me and to the boys who rest in the field before me, your example will never, ever grow old. Your legend will never die. Your spirit, brave, unyielding, and true, will never die. The blood that they spilled, the tears that they shed, 
the lives that they gave, the sacrifice that they made, did not just win a battle. It did not just win a war. Those who fought here won a future for our nation. They won the survival of our civilization. And they showed us the way to love, cherish, and defend our way of life for many centuries to come. Today, as we stand together upon this sacred earth, we pledge that our nation will forever be strong and united. We will forever be together. Our people will forever be bold. Our hearts will forever be loyal. And our children and their children will forever and always be free. May God bless our great veterans. May God bless our allies. May God bless the heroes of D-Day. And may God bless America. Thank you. Thank you very much. Great, great speech by the president. Commemorating the uh, 75th anniversary of uh, of D-Day. You know, I think that is as good, maybe even a tad better than what President Reagan gave on the 40th anniversary, which was really, really good. So... Uh, Whoever wrote that did a fantastic uh, job. All right, 343, let's get our final break. And when we come back, you know, the the, the president hasn't uh, decided not to levy these uh, various uh, tariffs against Mexico. When I read this next story to you, you might be like me and think, Maybe tariffs are necessary to get the Mexicans to get off the dime on something. All right, let me uh, say this. Uh, You know, a lot of people have uh, questioned why the president is threatening Mexico, our neighbor to the south, our biggest trade partner, with tariffs. Well, perhaps the president knows some things that the rest of us do not. I had not heard... Uh, this next story or anything leading to this next story I want to give to you, but gives me a good idea why the president is ratcheting up the pressure on the Mexican authorities. Uh, They're not releasing the names of about 26 individuals and entities whose assets have now been frozen as part of a new probe into migrant caravans and cartel-linked human smuggling organizations. Let me read that to you one more time. 26 individuals and entities, their assets were frozen. In other words, can't get their money out of the bank right now. And uh, frozen as a new probe has been opened into migrant caravans, these huge caravans that we are seeing coming uh, here to the country, and we all know cannot continue. They've got to be stopped. And now they say that uh, these uh, migrant caravans are cartel-linked 
with human smuggling organizations. We've been saying all along that a good portion of this was to bring, you know, young boys, young girls into our country to be used for prostitution and a whole lot of things. Now it looks like we're starting to get to the bottom of it. Why? Well, the investigation got moved into high gear. It had been going on, but it was kind of floundering. You know, maybe, uh, you, you know, we know that there's a lot of corruption uh, in the Mexican government. People probably getting paid, uh, got money coming to their hands. So, and it, it, so it meant that this investigation may have not been moving so fast. And then maybe the, the president wanted to move it faster. So how do you do that? Well, you, you, you put the screws to them. And, ten, and tariffs is a good way of putting screws to them. It was moved to high gear because this week, the tensions between the U.S. and Mexico escalated over tariff threats as a punitive measure for lax immigration enforcement. So what the president is doing evidently is having a very good effect. Yesterday, Mexico's finance and tax secretariat announced the seizure of these 26 accounts, including some from the United Kingdom, and the United States, which uh, allegedly helped fund the northbound migrant caravans largely from Central America. Diplomatic sources consulted by Breitbart News revealed the probe was personally led by the UIF director, Santiago Castillo, who directly briefs the Mexican president. The uh, SHCP's Financial Intelligence Unit tracked suspicious transactions beginning in October of 2018 to determine the source of funding for the caravans. The results reportedly pointed to monies coming from the U.S., U.K., African nations, and throughout Central America. Diplomatic sources revealed the investigation is still developing since the case was prioritized. When do you think they started prioritizing this, Russ? Take a guess. Monday. Monday. It is. Yeah. I wonder why that happened. As going to charge you money. Yeah. As uh, tensions over the tariffs escalated. The freeze came at the same time Mexican authorities arrested two primary organizers of the caravans who allegedly maintained ties to the U.S.-based Pueblo Sin Fronteras. Mexican authorities claimed the organizers would demand money from some migrants seeking to illegally enter the U.S. It's always the coyotes, man. A lot of times it's coyotes. But what else is going on? Where I, I still say Venezuela is in on this somewhere. Law enforcement sources have revealed that the UIF investigation found four sanctioned accounts linked to human smuggling groups loyal to cartels in border cities. Two accounts were traced to Pedras Negus with links to the cartel del Noresta faction of Los Zetas. And you know about Zetas if you listen to my show. We've talked about the Zetas for years. 
and an independent smuggler in that area. Two other accounts exhibit ties to Gulf cartel operators in Reynosa as well. So there you have it. It's amazing you put a, you put a little pressure on people what might happen. And uh, that's, that, that's exciting information. It really is. That's exciting information that they had this. They, they, were, they were looking into this, but they, you know, they were looking, but they really weren't looking. You know what I'm saying. And then the, and then the tariffs came. And it's 5% right now. Next, next month, if uh, they haven't done enough, it'll be 10% and go up 5% every month until it reaches 25%. So the Mexican government knows that the president means business, and now they're getting down to business, showing the president that they are serious about this, and that's good. Glad to see uh, that this is, uh, this is working out the way that we were hoping that uh, uh, it would work out. So some, that's something for you to keep uh, about. So, um, good job, Mr. President. We present we we appreciate it. I mean, look, people say that they're our friends. Prove it. Show us. You know, help us out. Instead, you look. Everybody, the whole world that knows anything about this, about what's going on in the southern border, knows that a lot of this is just being perpetrated by criminal activity. And what they're trying to do is increase uh, their income by uh, running their rings of, you know, slavery, sexual slavery, and everything else that they do. I mean, we've, how many different groups have we had on this show, Russ, would you say 10, 12, that deal uh, with, this whole thing about uh, running people across the border, these people, and, and put them into this kind of slavery. Uh, we've been we've been talking about this, and you know, Arkansas has been passing all kinds of laws to try to slow it up. Well, this is really this is the kind of stuff that will really start slowing it up to do uh, these things. So we'll, you know. Just something to keep in mind. I'm uh, excited about this. What this is uh, going, what's going on about this. All right, so AOC is out there again today. She uh, upped her price tag on the Green New Deal. She told reporters today, I'll take that back, on Wednesday, that any considerable climate change program must not we can save money by doing this in in different ways no she says it must come with a minimum 10 trillion dollar price tag to have a real shot quote i think we really need to get to 10 trillion dollars to have a shot she told the hill Court, uh, uh, Ocasio-Cortez acknowledged that it is a ton of money and attributed the monster of a price tag to the severity of the issue. 
Look, I know it's a ton, she said. I don't think anyone wants to spend that amount of money. It's not a fun number to say. I'm not excited to say we need to spend $10 trillion on climate, but it's just a fact of the scenario. It's not popular. It's not politically popular. People are going to call it unrealistic, and I just don't think people understand how bad the problem is, she added. Her Green New Deal plan gives insight into what climate alarmists believe needs to be done to save the planet from imminent doom. It's just around the corner, you know. The Green New Deal removes all debate, asserting that human activity is the dominant cause of observed climate change over the past 100 years. It poses climate change as a direct threat to national security and calls to eliminate pollution and greenhouse gas emissions and ultimately fossil fuels by 2030. According to analysis conducted by the conservative nonprofit American Action Forum, the ambition, uh, the ambitious plan could cost the U.S. up to $93 trillion in the next 10 years alone. The bulk of that cost would come from implementing the plan's big government economic agenda. AAF wrote that the Green New Deal figure includes between 8.3 and 12.3 trillion to meet the climate activist plan just to eliminate carbon emissions from the power and transportation sec- sector. Then another 42.8 to 80.6 trillion for its economic agenda which would provide some jobs and health care for every American. Recently, Ocasio-Cortez issued glowing praise to Washington Governor Jay Inslee's plan to combat climate change, calling it, quote, the gold standard. He's calling for 100% renewable energy by 2035. Former Vice President Joe Biden's plan calls for $5 trillion in spending and aims to reach net zero carbon by 2050. Bottom line, I'll see uh, 50 and raise you another $60 trillion. Unbelievable. They're not talking. They are not talking in a way that this could ever be attacked. So it's just all smoke and mirrors. Keep that in mind. They want to make you think they're going to do a lot. They ain't going to do squat. It is the Dave Ellswick Show. I got to read this to you, Russ. You're going to laugh. You are going to laugh. Uh, the guy from Breitbart that writes their movie reviews. I'm going to read the last paragraph to you. It makes me, makes me laugh. Let me close my review, which is not in any way, shape, or form a good review for this movie, Dark Phoenix. By telling a truth we are no longer allowed to tell. This someone named Sophie Turner is a terrible choice for the lead. Now, I, I made that point myself. She, but I didn't say this. She has the face of a witch with baby fat. Zero charisma and less sex appeal than Brie Larson. Framke Jansen, the original Gene, had it going on all over the place. And the lack of hot cha-cha in this movie and all superhero movies of late, this sterilization that makes Mormons look like party animals, 
is getting old. Up yours, Hollywood. I would like to have my TNA back. Woke sucks. <laughs> that was well written, don't you think? I think that was well, well written. And the guy's name, if you want to email somebody about it, email it to him. He said it. I didn't. It's John Nolte. He's been a guest on my show. He did not pull any punches on that movie. I'm just telling you. I'll uh, I'll send this to to Elizabeth and and have her post it. It is a vicious, and I mean vicious, uh, look at, at the movie. I personally don't think it's as bad as John thinks it is. I don't think it's the best. I don't think it's the worst. I didn't like Sophie Tucker as the person to play Gene. I don't like Jennifer Lawrence and uh, her take on, on Raven in the movie is, it, is done early, and that's a good thing. Just telling you. <sighs> Unbelievable. <laughs> it was pretty good at the end. Written like a true misogynist, was it not? I got to tell you, it really was. All right, so uh, any other things that I can give to you uh, about all of what's going on? Uh, it says, it, it never fails to me, the people, the, the actors and actresses that I hear from this, I just saw something a moment ago. Let me find this article because I'd like to bring it to you because it really it, it's sad that this actor had to open up his big mouth because now I'm going to have a hard time when I go see him play another part that this is not running through his mind uh, when he said this. And it's, um, I'm looking, let me find it real quick if I can find it here. Before we go, I'll look. Uh, I'll I'll look further during the break when it comes up, so we can get into it. Uh, here's some blue state blues for you, President Donald. And let's talk about this first. I'm, Trump had a great European trip. He went over to Britain, had a great uh, time with the Queen. Queen liked. What him. exactly did he do in Ireland? He met with the uh, Irish president. They 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 had you know. They didn't talk a whole lot about that. Trade. They spent more time talking about his trip to England and visiting with the well, royal. They family always and... they always talked more about England. I mean, England is our one of our longest standing allies that we've had, and so that's always important. And the Queen really liked him, although here you wouldn't know it by reading what the press said or what a lot of the people on like, you know, MSNBC, CNN, and the rest had to say about it. It said, you will not learn that from reading the news, the prevailing dogma in our mainstream media reflects the Democratic Party's revisionist propaganda, which obscures the fact that Barack Obama disrupted relations with our allies in an effort to appease Russia, Iran, and other enemies. That's true. That's true. But search the world, and here's what you will find. You're not going to find any examples of allies with whom Trump has made relations worse. 
Do not rely on opinion polls. The public perception of the United States abroad is shaped by CNN and the New York Times, the major source of American news overseas, and is also guided by foreign media and cultural elites who are, you know, totally against uh, Republicans, if not also anti-America. Look instead at the relationships between governments. Start with Israel, where Obama made a deliberate effort to create distance between our government and theirs. Today, Trump is a hero to Israelis for affirming their sovereignty in Jerusalem and the Golan Heights. Israel's Arab neighbors, including our Saudi allies, are also grateful for Trump's backing against Iran. Take Japan, where President Trump concluded a very successful visit last week. Be sure there are differences between the two countries on issues like North Korea and trade, yet President Trump and the Prime Minister of Japan have forged a close friendship. Trump drove a hard bargain on trade with South Korea, but reached an agreement that benefited both nations and has done more than any U.S. president since Eisenhower to help bring peace to that peninsula. He has won praise from the Philippines for standing up to China and from India for his willingness to cut off aid to Pakistan due to the latter's support for radical Islamic terror groups. In Canada, Trump has feuded with Justin Trudeau, but also forged the new U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement on trade, and Trump has found new allies in Latin America that is rejecting the left in Brazil, Colombia, Guatemala, and elsewhere. In Europe, President Trump has restored our close bonds with the former communist nations, ties that Obama strained when he abandoned missile defense and allowed Russia to invade the Ukraine. He has succeeded in increasing member nations' contributions to NATO. Remember, oh, he's against NATO. He wants it to fall apart. No, no. He just said we shouldn't be carrying all the weight of paying for it. And he was right. In Britain, Italy, and elsewhere, Trump has made common cause with nations that are embracing the principle of national sovereignty. France presents a more complicated picture. Trump irritated the French and the American left by withdrawing from the Paris Climate Accords, even though many who backed that agreement now admit it is meaningless. But he has also reached out to embrace the French, hosting the French president for his first state dinner. That leaves Germany, whose leader, Chancellor Merkel, delivered a rebuke to Trump on U.S. soil last week at Harvard. Quote, tear down walls of ignorance and narrow-mindedness, she declared. Hey, why don't you just shut up, lady? If it hadn't have been for a Republican president, you'd still have a divided city in Berlin. Trump has demanded Germany pay its share of NATO expenses and that German companies stop coddling Iran. Trump has also irked Merkel by backing Britain's effort to leave the European Union. But those are the kinds of arguments we need. U.S. Ambassador Richard Grinnell has made clear that we expect Germany to provide better leadership in Europe, not to become so dependent on Russian gas that it cannot resist Vladimir Putin's geopolitical ambitions, so corrupted by Iranian oil that it cannot stand up to the mullahs, and so socialist that it cannot contribute to the common defense. 
originally concluded that Germany was the only country with whom relations had deteriorated under Trump, the exception that proved the rule. But as rocky as relations with Germany have been, they may arguably have improved since the Obama administration. As much as Germans loved Obama, as much as they shared and indulged his skepticism of American leadership and power, that friendship was not reciprocated. It was Obama's national security agent that spied on Merkel and other European leaders, souring relations between the two governments and prompting Obama foolishly to give up U.S. control of the Internet in the hope of mollifying America's mortified allies. What the media called Trump's belligerent isolationism is actually a restoration of traditional American leadership in the world through the pursuit of American interests. Trump defends our allies and confronts our rivals, including Russia, to a mix of force and diplomacy, i.e. Mexico. That's why he stands tall on the world stage, and we too stand taller in the world with him. And if you watched any of the coverage by CNN, MSNBC, read the Times, read the Post, read any of those left-leaning rags, you would have thought that what the president did while he was over in Japan, while he was over in England, while he was in Ireland, while he was at the beaches of Normandy, that it was an abject failure and that the people of Europe hated him. But if you pick up a couple of copies of newspapers in Europe and read what they wrote about our president, you'll know that that's been nothing but a big frickin' lie. Big surprise. Time to take your first break here in the 4 o'clock hour. Dave Ellswick Show. We got more to talk about when we come back on 101.1 FM, The Answer. All right, back with you here on the Dave Ellswick Show. I found that that Chris Pine article, and let me just read what Chris Pine had to, had to say. He, now, a lot of people say to me, well, Dave, you, you, you sit there and you attack these people for what they say. Don't they have a right to their own opinion? Yeah, sure they do. And then I have my right to to come back and question what their opinion is. Nothing wrong with that. When I go out and to dinner and things of that nature, people come up to me and and say hi. And then they say, you know, you said this on the air, and I sure don't agree with that. And I said, well, that's great. Glad that you have an opinion and that you're thinking about some of the things that I talk about. But he was, uh, Robert Penn Wright was talking to him, doing an interview, an actor interviewing an actor. Uh, And she was talking uh, to Penn, or not to Penn, but talking to uh, Pine. And uh, he had this to say. Let me just read this. Pine began to wonder about Trump's MAGA campaign phase. I always think this idea of, like, make America great again, he said, before being interrupted by Wright, who said, didn't he steal that from Reagan anyway? And the answer is no. Uh, Reagan said it was a great morning in America again. But Pine then added that he wondered if Trump's slogan was sensible and asked if America was ever that great. Let me repeat that. Pine asked that he wondered if Trump's slogan was sensible and asked, quote, if America was ever that great, 
And then he pointed out the U.S. had Jim Crow and slavery. And because of that, everything else that this country's ever stood for sucks, I guess. Also, what period of history are we talking about? Jim Crow and slavery, he said. I'm not quite sure what. This is not to hate on the country in which I live. Bull. Bull crap, Chris Pine. That's exactly what you're doing. Which I love dearly, but we've had problems forever. Nobody's ever denied that. But do the problems get rid of all the great that this country's done? Does that uh, wash away the American blood that has been, uh, you know, shed twice on European soil for the freedom of all men? Does that wash away all the people who died fighting to end slavery in America and America's civil war? Does it do away with that as well? Does it do away with, uh, you know, the, the carpetbaggers that came in after the Civil War and decimated the South? Both actors are seemingly uninformed about our history. The essential concept of Trump's MAGA slogan has been a common theme throughout our, our country's history. Ronald Reagan had his It's Morning in America again in 84, and his 1980 campaign slogan was, quote, let's make America great again. But Reagan and Trump were not alone in looking to return America to some former level of greatness. For instance, Warren G. Harding campaigned with a slogan of a return to normalcy after the chaos of World War I. But there were other similar slogans. For instance, Lincoln campaigned to save America's Constitution and thereby return to the real America. Benjamin Harrison ran to rejuvenate, uh, rejuvenate things. Charles Evans Hughes ran with an American America First slogan, as did Harding a few years later. And Pat Buchanan also chanted America First in 1992. Is that wrong? Is it wrong to look out for your country first and not somebody else's country. In 2012, Ron Paul wanted to restore America now. Even left-wing John Kerry ran on the slogan of Let America Be America Again. And during his uh, 92 campaign, Bill Clinton said it was time to, quote, make America great again. Nothing that Trump has said about make America great and magna. That whole thing it is not something that hasn't been said by countless other politicians and people in this country. And I guess if you think first of America and put pressure on other countries so that here in our country, our workers get a good shake on a deal instead of getting the dookie stick then uh, there's something wrong with that. That, you know, uh, that that kind of nationalism is to be compared to the nationalism that Adolf Hitler pushed. They're not even close. You know it, I know it, even the people who say it know it. 
But they they use that hyperbole to uh, get people always fired up. And millennials, hell, most of you don't even know what we're talking about sometimes. I wonder how many of you know exactly what happened on D-Day and why we did what we did and how close it was that well, we lost World War II, which kept you from having to learn German and maybe even Japanese. America first is not something to disdain. This is a great country. And for the people of this country, the laws that we make, the treaties that we sign, what we try to do to help other countries should also help Americans. It should all work in conjunction. It is. It is very, very irritating to listen to a lot of people make a whole lot of noise and saying a whole lot of dishonest and, uh, you know, terrible things about the president that sits in the Oval Office. He's done a lot of great things. Not saying I agree with everything he's done, but I will tell you this I agree with him about his overarching theme of keeping America first. I have no problem with that at all. Thank you, Mr. President, for doing that. We live in the greatest country in the world, no doubt about it. And if you think that I'm ridiculous saying that, I'll accept your ignorance. I lose my patience with people when they start talking about the horror of slavery and the horror of this and we did this and we did that, but they never can bring themselves to talk about the great things that we've done. I stand here on the radio with you that are listening and say that we've done countless more positive things than we've ever done negative things. We are basically uh, the only country that sacrificed hundreds of thousands of our own people to settle a dispute amongst ourselves. And I believe that we've done a pretty good job of uh, settling it. You know, I, I mean, I hear people talking that we still have race problems in this country big, big time. Well, evidently, you weren't alive in the 60s or the 50s. I could tell you at that time, we had some major race problems in this country. And uh, and I, I don't subscribe to this white supremacy thing or the white privilege argument that people have that somehow because, for instance, my color is white, I was given all kinds of free passes and all kinds of um, easy ways to make it in this country because that sure didn't happen. At least I don't remember it, and I've lived my life. I've worked for everything that I wanted to get done in my life. I was born, quote, on the wrong side of the tracks. 
which is a way of saying, you know, I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth. I've scratched and clawed to get to where I am. You know, uh, I feel like I, I live a, 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 a good life. I've raised my kids, eight of them. They're out there uh, doing the best that they can now. Dad's not giving them any kind of uh, uh, super help. Give them a little help once in a while. But most of the people I know, what they've done is that they have worked as hard as they can, no matter what color they are, to get ahead, to get a, get their small piece of the American dream. And didn't ask anybody to give them anything, didn't take anything from the government, Back gave a lot to the government in taxes. So it could be given to a lot of people who don't want to do crap so that they can eat without working. All right. Did you say Larry? Larry joins us here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Larry, how are you? Dave, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I turned the radio on to hear the, the very first part of what you said about America being a great country and people talking about slavery and not what else we've done. It That burns my rear end every time I hear uh, anybody talk about how bad this country is, regardless what we've done. If you'd like to go back to when this country was founded and look at where we were in history and look at where we are now and what this country has uh, accomplished, uh, you'll find that we, in 200 and some odd years, have changed the world. We mm -hmm. came over here on sail ships, and what, 200 years later, we were flying across the uh, uh, ocean at supersonic speeds. So we, um, you can say how bad we are, but uh, we're still the best out there, buddy. Yeah, you're exactly right. I, I agree with you. Not only did we do we fly in the air, at supersonic speeds here on the Earth, put a man, several men, in fact, on on the moon. And uh, hopefully here soon we'll go back. Show everybody we've been there and we're going back and do it again. I'm all about it. And I believe it will be this country that leads the way to another planet. I'm not talking about the moon. The moon's a moon. It's not a planet. I think it'll be this country leading the way to take us to Mars. I do believe that. I hope that I'm alive to see it. Something that I enjoy is space travel. I, I'm really amazed by space travel. I think that the way that we do it has to be uh, done in, in a way that uh, the government is not shouldering all of the, of the, um, the lift on this i think that we're seeing that with all these different groups that are out there here in our country that are uh pushing forward on the space program you know test uh, what what's his name ed you know monk doing not ed monk but monk doing his thing and when you look at uh what's going on with bezos and all of that these companies are making you know good good things to happen for us here in this country without it being, you know, a government, uh, 
you know, research and development type of a situation. Let's go to Chris in Conway. Hey, Chris, how are you? Welcome to the Dave Ellswick Show. Hey, I'm good. Um, I have a, I live in, you know, I live in Conway, and I have a bunch of people who go to Hendrix that I'm friends with. Oh, Lord. And, uh, well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> one, of my, one, of, one of my favorite comedians is, uh, is Dave Chappelle. And yep. uh, I think it was, I think it was Killam Softly. One of one of his specials, he talked about uh, he talked about talking to kids in the ghetto and like how you're gonna get out. And he's like, you know, do hard work. And then he then he starts screaming about you gotta look, you gotta sell drugs, you gotta get good at throwing a ball around, you gotta do something because you're stuck. Mm-hmm. And that's supposed to be the whole joke. But what people don't realize is that my my great granddad was a dirt farmer basically. My uh, my dad and granddad have talked about it. they uh, great grandparents were sharecroppers and right. they were broke. And then my granddad, uh, three kids, he was, well, they, you know, they had a house and stuff, and that was it. They didn't have any extra money. And then my dad had, it, it was growing wealth through through the whole the whole family tree. And then here I am in college, you know, yada, 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 I'm going to be fine. <clears throat> it's, <clears throat> sorry, they, uh, they... They just say that 200 years, you know, since Civil War and all that, there's, it's, 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 it's oppression. That's the only way. But no one, there's, people don't work for it. They just say there's no way out. And they're kind of right. There is no way out for one person unless you win the lottery or unless you get incredibly lucky with something. It's, no one wants to build for their kids. That's how you get out. You don't get yourself out of, of poverty. You build your kids up to get out, and then their kids are better off, and then all of a sudden you have, you know, 100 years of compound interest and 401K or whatever, and now your kids are rich. Well, I don't disagree with that. I think that we can all, as individuals, do a lot to further yeah. ourselves a- along, and then it's, you know, it's it's incumbent upon each one of us to help our and raise our families uh, to want to grab the brass ring, so to speak, and, and move forward. Yeah. But there's just, as, as much as I talk to my dad and, uh, and books and listen to people talk about, you know, poverty and uh, stuff in black communities, it's like that's the, the only way out is, is, is through your kids, honestly. Because you can't – compound interest is is an amazing drug. <laughs> it's it's most, very awesome. Hey, hey, Chris, thank you for your call. As, as Einstein said, it's the most powerful force in the universe. Hey, we'll come back. We'll talk some more about the greatness of the country we live in. I mean, just listening to Trump last hour giving that speech at Normandy yesterday should have made you proud about what America did. You understand, I hope you understand, if we had not entered into World War II, London and England and France and all the rest were lost. They were lost. They won because we came uh, into that fray and we brought our industrial might at the time and our people at the time, and we 
helped over. And I'm not saying that the British and the French and the Poles and all the rest didn't do some. They did. They fought as well. But you take America out of the equation and swastika still flies in Europe. All right, back. Let's finish up uh, this hour here on the Dave Ellswick show. And, you know, I, I didn't want to make this into a a show about uh, America the Great, although we live in the greatest nation on earth. I, I I really want you to remember that. And for you who who think that our country should be defined by the negatives, I say that we should be defined by how we've raised ourselves over the negative and have done the positive and made the great country that we have today. I mean, seriously. Everybody that complains about slavery and wants to blame everybody for it, forget that a good portion of this country has fought and, uh, and, and debated and done everything they can to, uh, to bring equality to people. What we've done in this country, it, it drives me crazy to listen to some people talk the way they do about uh, the country that I, that, that I, I live in, and in this whole thing about because I'm white, I had I had some I got to start fifty yards in front of everybody else, and in, in a t- in a hundred yard dash, I guess I'm 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 showing my age. I should be talking about how many meters the dash is. I'm still talking yards, but uh, it's as if I was given a huge start. And that's not the case at all. Great things have happened for my family. I, you know, I, I still today wish that my dad was alive. He died back in 1989. I'd love for him to be able to see uh, the house that I live in, the pool that I have in the backyard, the above-ground pool that I have in my backyard, uh, you know, the, that I live on an acre of land that it's a brick house, that my garage is as big as the house that I grew up in. I mean, seriously, I'd love for him to see that because that's how he raised me. He raised me to believe if I worked hard and I played the game fair, you know, didn't step on people as I was going off up the ladder. And I think that's when, look, Russ has known me for years, and I think Russ would agree. He's never seen me. um, Anybody who's trying to climb a a ladder of success has never seen me step on anybody's fingers or, you know, punch them in the top of their head as they're climbing up. I've never, ever have done. I've helped people, have always tried to help people. That's the way I was raised. That's what my faith tells me to do. We just live in a great country. Are there still problems? There will always be problems because we're not perfect. None of us. Zip, nada, no one. We're all fallen creations. God made us. We sinned, we screwed it up, and we're still fighting because we screwed it up in the garden. But I think that 
a good portion of the people who live in this nation are trying to help others and move people forward. Are there some that don't? Yep, that's right. That's their right. You know, they can be as greedy as they they want to. As long as they don't break the laws, they don't have to share their money with anybody. They don't have to be altruistic in any way, shape, or form. I think they live a, a, a sad life if they live only for themselves. If that's all they think about, if the world only revolves around them, it's a small world, to be honest with you. Hey, when we come back in the next hour, I'm going to have a, a fast little conversation about something that is really uh, fun, and that is uh, we're going to talk about Godzilla, but we're going to, I want to talk about, I, I'm always talking about when movies have stuff in them that I don't like where they're, you know, they're trying to push uh, some kind of political agenda. They did that in uh, Dark Phoenix last night. They did it somewhat in Godzilla last week. And uh, I just had to kind of look beyond it and enjoy the movie as I could. But in the movie Godzilla, even though they did put push, you know, they've moved away from uh, atom bombs because you know we're we we look at we don't look at atom bombs the same way that they did in Japan after World War II that we had to drop it to stop uh, the war that was going on with Japan. I always found that interesting that they want to tell us how bad we were because uh, you know we we dropped the bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, but they don't want to talk about what they did in Manchuria to the Chinese people and they massacred 300,000 people in one day. They don't uh, really want to talk about that. They want to talk about how mean we were, how evil we were because we dropped an atomic weapon on them. Well, you know what? If you'd been smart and you would have surrendered the way you should and uh, we didn't want to just sacrifice uh, more of our people to end the war. I mean, they had all, they had ordered 250,000 body bags for the initial uh, uh, amphibious assault into uh, uh, Japan. And Lord knows how long we would have been fighting there against that enemy. Uh, but we had a bomb, uh, two of them, in fact. They were bigger and bad enough that could perhaps bring them to their knees, and it did. I don't see that as a bad thing. From my viewpoint, that's not a bad thing. That was a good thing. Not good in the in the, in the the aspect that we had to kill a whole bunch of people, but in the aspect that we saved a whole lot of people. A lot of people. So, yeah, that's, that's where I'm at. When we come back, going to talk about Godzilla. We're going to talk about some Christian allegory that uh, is in uh, this movie Godzilla. I thought it was kind of interesting to see them make those types of uh, of points uh, during the uh, during the movie. By the way, Cubs won today, three to one, beat the Cards uh, at Wrigley. It's funny because last week we were at Bush, and of course. The cards won 
three and uh, had a friend that said, ah, Cubby's not doing so well. And I said, yeah, the bats were kind of quiet, but I'll welcome you to Wrigley next weekend. <laughs> and the bats were awful quiet for the cards today. They got their, their run in the top of the ninth inning on the solo home run uh, today. All right, that wraps it up for this hour. We'll be back in the next hour. Pick it up here on the Dave Ellswick Show. And uh, hope that you'll be back. It's going to be an interesting discussion, I believe. And I'll bring you some other information maybe about what's going on in the uh, the show business community and the movie community. And we can talk about uh, that as well. But the news comes up here at the top of the hour. We'll get a couple, uh, five minutes of that. Catch up on what's happening. The president is back from his trip over uh, to England and to uh, Ireland and to Normandy and is back in the country. It looks like the uh, tariffs for Mexico are not going to happen. That's a good thing. But, of course, if you didn't hear, uh, the Mexican government has cracked down on the people who are funding the caravans over uh, through the Mexican uh, uh, country uh, through uh, Central America. And uh, they think that they have, have identified the people that are putting up all the money. They've been thinking about that for quite some time, but they really got serious and prioritized it as issue number one on Monday when the president said 5% tariffs. Got their attention and got them to get something done. All right, back with the Dave Ellswick Show in just a moment. Stick around. we got an hour to go on a Friday. It's nice to know there's other people who agree with you. <laughs> Mark is here, and we were talking about uh, the X-Men series, and I told him, I, I said, look, it, you know, look, if you spent your money, most people are going to say, well, that was all right. You know, it's yeah. kind of, it was a good movie. But if you look at it from, like, uh, an X-Man kind of lover of the comic and stuff. It's, well, none of no. those movies have really been about appealing to the people who read the comics. But my suggestion for anybody who's thinking about going to see Dark Phoenix this weekend is go see Godzilla King of the Monsters instead. Because I know you didn't see it last week and judging by the box office. So go see it this weekend. That's a much yeah, it's better a movie. good movie, though. <laughs> I, I thought it was fantastic. I loved every You loved it, it, did you? Oh, it, it, was, oh, it was great. It was the, So the 2014 <laughs> Gareth Ed, Edwards movie, I mean, I don't hate that one. But it was definitely – he was making a Godzilla movie for critics and not for fans. Yeah, that's true. And this one, Michael Doherty, he made a Godzilla movie for fans and yes, not for critics. Yes, he did. So it's um, – I both, can't wait for next year. Oh, Kong versus Godzilla? Yeah. Absolutely. That one's going to be great. <laughs> um, it's not Doherty directing that one, though. It's somebody else, I think. Oh, is it? I'm not sure. Bummer. I have to look it up. But I'm sure it's – I'm sure it's going to be good. And what's what's great, though, is that the reactions coming out of Japan for uh, King of the Monsters have been universally positive. Hideo Kojima, the creator of um, Metal Gear Solid and Silent Hill, just gushed over the movie on Twitter. They're going crazy. They love the whole Godzilla and Mothra interaction in this movie. So it's America finally made a Godzilla movie that Japan enjoyed. Maybe that can encourage some of you that if Japan is okay with it, then, you know, what can we complain about? Has it opened in China? Oh, yeah. It's opened. Um, How big all of, is it in China? Um, so that's the thing. Um, last I read is that it's doing equal box office numbers in every market. So there isn't one market that's dominating into the others. 
So kind it's, of interesting. That's the thing. It's, I mean, it already made back its budget in the first um, opening uh, weekend. So yeah. it's not a flop, like people are saying. It's not a bomb. It's not a flop. It's um, and it's actually performing to uh, projections. It's just not. It's not Avengers Endgame. You know, and if nothing no is Avengers, movie for a right? long time is going to exactly. be Avengers Endgame. Remember, for the longest time, if something wasn't Avatar, you know, then it was a flop. Yeah, you know, that's so right. if movies don't make the, this new like yardstick, it's considered a flop when it's not true. This movie's making very respectable money. It's just the critics are, don't like it because it, it didn't explain have anything. to me why. Because I look at box office mojo and some other sites to follow how much money. That tells you how much of a geek I am. I'm following to see how much money, but. People write that these movies are a flop, and they don't take into com- into consideration international take. Exactly. Why? I mean, most of these movies, especially these blockbuster movies, they quite frankly aren't really made for Americans anymore. They're made for the Chinese market since that's such an emerging because uh, it's so big of a market. India is exactly. next. Exactly. I mean, Legendary, the company that the production company that made this movie, is actually they got bought out by China. So they're a Chinese company now. Okay. So this, right. And that's why this movie had a um, that Chinese actress in it who could barely speak English and it was kind of funny. But um, So all these movies, if you ever see a movie that has a random Chinese actress in it, like Fan Bingbing or something, yeah. that person was put in there. Like the for, Meg. Yeah, exactly. Like, why is this person there? They're, they're in there to appeal to the Chinese demographic because we don't know who they are, but they're a celebrity in China. So that's why they're in this movie. Even if you can tell they're reading their lines phonetically and don't know what they're saying. Yeah. You know, I really liked how they made sure they got even the smallest things into this movie. Oh. With the the canon of Godzilla, it was so. I've seen every Godzilla movie a lot, and I was actually on um, Shane Stax's show uh, a few months back just to talk about Godzilla. So I mean, I, this movie <laughs> satisfied the, the heck out of me. Um, it was full of Easter eggs, but they and and fan service, but they always the what Michael Doherty did was he implemented it and he sewed it into the movie in a way that it. It fit the narrative. Yeah, it the wasn't music just, was fantastic. Oh, Br- Br- Bear McCreary's music. I mean, the way he implemented uh, Ikira Ifukube's uh, Godzilla March and the Mothra yeah. song. I mean, it's it was great. beautiful. So at the beginning of the movie, like when Mothra or Godzilla first appear, they only play a couple bars of the song, mm-hmm. and then when they appear in the middle of the movie, they play a little bit more, and that way it builds you up. And then when you get to the end of the movie and it's the big showdown, they play the full theme songs for those characters. And it's 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 it swells up and it feels so good. in The movie it was great. Yeah, best I can do. Is mm-hmm. it, you get to the end and when Godzilla's going after Ghidra, uh, Ghidra, <laughs> and uh, they start playing that that uh, the Godzilla big time music. Mm-hmm. Dun, 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 dun. No, no, yeah. no, 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 I love yeah. that man. That was oh, so no. cool because they they saved it, which is so good. Because at the beginning of the movie they play just a little bit and then a little bit more, and then you get to that ending and it just it's so satisfying. And that's the movie that's so satisfying. Where the complaint people had with Gareth Edwards' 2014 one was that it's a movie titled Godzilla and Godzilla doesn't show up in it for an hour. Yeah, you know, it's not necessarily the. It has a great final act. I left the theater happy when I first saw it. It wasn't until I rewatched it on DVD when I was like. Oh, right. It's 45 minutes in. Godzilla's not here yet. <laughs> I forgot about the first hour of this movie. Yeah. It doesn't have Godzilla in it. Um, but this one is they, they found a way to have the human plot, but they have the human plot happening simultaneously with the monster plot. So it's always cutting back between human monster and human monster. So it's paced a lot better. And you, you're not sitting there looking at your watch like, where's the freaking monster? <laughs> I, got a, I got a great yeah. joke for you. I was asking uh, Shane about this. I, he, he and I went to see the movie together. And he was, it was like watching somebody watching WWE with Shane. <laughs> he was actually cheering 
loudly. Oh, he's one of those movie goers. Yes, in the, in the theater, it was really I, it was I saw great. it at IMAX on uh, Chanel. Wow. Yeah, and that was, that's, I specifically did that because Godzilla is a movie you want to watch in IMAX, and I recommend it. The IMAX on Chanel has reopened, for anybody who doesn't know, because it doesn't always show up on movietheater.com. So mm-hmm. um, I would recommend going to see it there. Okay. Yeah. It's well worth seeing there. Well, Charles Dance is in this movie, I, and I love that guy. He was a comedy relief guy, or was he? I can't. Was he, he, was, he the main he father? Was the, he was the eco terrorist. Oh yeah, that's right. And I remember you talking about it last week. So he was from Last Action Hero. That's yeah. right. So every time he turned around, you thought he was going to have that smiley face eyeball, didn't you? Yeah, yeah that's what... that's the thing I remember from <laughs> so much about. Him. He was great in Last Action yeah, Hero. He was. Uh, <laughs> and of course, he was in Game of Thrones. Yeah, I mean, he's um he's this great uh, almost Alan Rickman type, yes, you know, he is. evil, sophisticated overlord, bad guy kind of actor. And he's, he's very evidently going to be in the next movie. Yeah, he's um so this group that this terrorist group that they introduced in this movie are kind of going to be the um the ongoing antagonists of the monster verse which is what uh legendary is calling their their series that has king kong and godzilla in it and the after well there's the after credit scene i don't want to spoil for everybody yeah. but it sets up um one of the big monsters from the toho series mm-hmm. and he's going to and it's going to be um, presumably the big bad that I'm, I'm betting that King Kong Godzilla are going to have to team up to fight this. Yeah, I mean, at the end. Yeah. seriously, <laughs> I, Shane and I were talking. How, okay, what do you think of the storyline? And we came up, of course, with the team up coming up with. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, the mammals and the reptiles joined together. <laughs> fight. I mean, that's how. It, yeah, I mean, that's how all team-up movies work, or team-up comics, anything that's a crossover. It always starts with the two characters meet, they fight because of a misunderstanding, but then another <laughs> bad guy shows up, and then they team up to take down the bad guy. It's yeah. how it always goes. Like, there's that uh, Batman TMNT um, comic and animated movie that came out a couple weeks ago, and it was the same thing. Batman meets the TMNT, they fight, then Shredder shows up, so they go and they fight Shredder together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it always works out yeah. that way. but. Were did you catch all the Christian allegory in the movie when it, you saw it? There, so there's it's one of those movies where you can, depending on your perspective, you can unpack it any way you want. It never beat you over the head really with um, any messages. Like I heard people saying that it had a uh, anti global warming message, and I didn't get that at all from the movie. Here's what I got uh, out of it: I thought that they showed the eco terrorists as being a bunch of dumbasses exactly yeah exactly you like know, all these people who take pretty good take that stuff way too seriously yep. like so the so the, the character i can't recall her name but she's the mother and she works with the eco-terrorists to um use the monsters Famaja, or whatever her yeah. Name is. yeah but she's her, in the what is it the uh horror series uh uh, that are that that's out there with annabelle and all of oh that. Okay. yeah i know which one you're talking about the um uh Conjuring series, yeah, yeah. The Conjuring series. Um, but so her plot in the movie is that she's going to uh, use the Titans to like level half the population, like pull a Thanos, and then the <laughs> then and then you know the environment can regrow and, and the world can be pure again. But her motivation for doing it is because Godzilla stepped on her son, you know, in the last movie, and so she, which doesn't make any sense. Like so, because she's so broken up about her son dying that she's going to kill how many th- hundreds of thousands of other people's sons. Million. No, millions. millions of other people's sons, you know, to, and that'll make things better. I mean, it's it's a very – she's a very stupid person. Yes. Um, and she has a very dumb motivation. She's being manipulated, you know, but by, by the main But she argues yeah. 
what you hear from the left all the time. Exactly. And it was I mean, so the movie, great. That, I think that's why the critics didn't like it because this movie doesn't push an agenda. It does not have. No, it does it, There's not. no woke moment in the movie. There's no point where everybody like uh, says like Godzilla is bad, but you know who's worse? Donald Trump. You know they don't have any stupid moment like that that every Hollywood movie has to have. They it's it's just. <laughs> Only concerned that's with being so a good Godzilla movie, and that's why critics didn't like it, because its chief concern was being entertaining and not intellectual. And it was or, entertaining. Yeah. It was exactly. really entertaining. But I just thought, you know, that yeah, what the, how they used Mothra was uh, a lot of allegory there, oh, yeah, and Godzilla I mean, that, had allegory. That shot, I mean, they used it in the trailer, but it's one of the many money shots in the movie of Ghidorah after he, he grows his head back, and he's roaring into the sky and you see like in the foreground that cross you know because yeah. this is in mexico so you know there's a church right there but it's this beautiful shot and and Ghidorah is right essentially out of the, the exorcist <laughs> by the way oh yeah i mean and Ghidorah is basically like monster satan you know yeah. and this because yeah. he's um he's introduced as, as the same as he was in the old movies he's a space alien who comes in and wrecks everything up he's an outside influencer mm-hmm. who is coming in and throwing off the balance and negatively influencing all the other monsters who would normally be peaceful into being, you know, rampaging beasts. And Godzilla kind of has to man up and stop him, even though, you know, it's a, it's almost an underdog story. Okay, yeah. so do you believe, do you think that uh, the director had, uh, you know, Godzilla was, uh, you know, an allegory for Christ? Do you think that, uh, <laughs> well, he's he a Christ figure? He dies, and he, he dies and he comes back. And he I saves mean, everybody. And he saves everyone. That would, and he's named Godzilla. Yeah. I, I, I'm like I said, you could unpack it any way you want. If you think that sounds goofy, then you don't have to look at it that way. The movie doesn't beat you over the head with it, which is which is nice. Well, I it, think perf- it it just shows all kinds of different <laughs> oh, yeah. ways of looking at it. But I I just thought it was interesting. As I'm sitting there watching, oh, yeah. and I'm going, it's pretty cool that you got something positive. Absolutely. I mean, for you, Christianity out of this movie. There are people who are saying that the movie was um, a criticism of illegal immigration because Ghidorah is um, an alien who comes in from outside and he uh, he messes the country up. And the only way to defeat him is to kill him or drive him away. And then everything's great again. So like, oh, no, this is an anti-legal immigration story. So everyone oh, has their own Lord. their own theory of what the movie's about i think that's a reach at (laughs) least what i'm talking about is not a reach (laughs) no no that one i think was pretty deliberate i mean you had that that scene with the the cross in the church in front of Ghidorah. you have godzilla dying and coming back you got mothra coming out of the out of the clouds the resurrection heavenly and and beautiful yeah Yeah, it's um, absolutely i mean there's a part where a giant uh two-horned pterodactyl thing comes out of a volcano you know it's the most hellish imagery you can imagine i mean mm-hmm. it's it's very much trying to get that hit those chords but you don't have to look at it that way if you don't want to it's, i'm yeah. i'm just telling you, i'm i'm just waiting uh and i have to for next year because i'm a huge godzilla fan and i remember at 10 years old going to see godzilla versus king kong at the oh, at the really? theater wow. yeah where they brought they bring I, I'm, this won't happen this movie, but in yeah. the Otoho one, they brought him in using helium balloons. Yeah, big balloons, where they just <laughs> and they just drop him on Godzilla. Yeah, whole, they do. I mean, it's that let them fight, you know, attitude. We're like, you know what? If we can't stop Godzilla ourselves, let's just throw a monster at him. Yeah, so that's what that. they did. It was, and it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a fun Toho movie, and 
by that time, Godzilla was getting to be kind of a, a joke in a, in a sense. To, was, yeah. You know, the, the man in the rubber. Yeah, rubber King Kong versus thing. Godzilla, the original one, was the third movie with Godzilla in it. And by that one, they were shifting away from Godzilla being, you know, a goofy. Ba- the a, bad guy. A, the, yeah, this, this horrible allegory for the A bomb and towards him being a more marketable, you know, mascot character. Which, I got a uh, kick. Yeah. I got a kick out. There's a scene in the movie. Uh, if you go back and watch that '63 movie, that's so funny. Is that King Kong and Godzilla are fighting, and Godzilla knocks King Kong off this like mountain top, and he slides down the side, and he gets up, and he's rubbing his butt. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> so silly. Down. I mean, it's silly as all. I get love out. the part where, where Kong picks up a tree and just shoves it down Godzilla's yes, throat. Yeah. I mean, I hope they do that in the next one because I feel like that's like the most <laughs> iconic part of that fight. But I mean, no, no, King. So don't listen to the critics. They, they're just. It's not a movie made for critics, but it's also not a dumb movie. Like I said, no. you can watch that movie and you can interpret it in many different ways, and you can you can have a an intellectual conversation about what the movie was trying to say and come up with different answers. I mean, I think that's a good movie. And Michael Doherty, he's made mostly horror movies in the past, and I've really liked them: Trick or Treat and um, the and Krampus. Oh, Krampus yeah. is great. Oh, that's a fantastic movie. Um, he made those. I mean, he makes great movies that have a sense of humor that are actually very well-structured and well-edited. The editing in Trick or Treat is fantastic. It's an anthology horror movie that um, slices up the anthology segments and has them a Pulp Fiction kind of like out of order, and you oh, okay. you seed them together. It's non-linear. actually really— okay. Yeah, it's a non-linear. It's a really clever film. Um, so, yeah, Doherty is kind of shooting—I think I've seen three of his movies now, and he's shooting three for three with me. Well, good. I'm—you know, I'm— I'm like I said. I can't wait now for next year for Kong and 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 they they keep alluding to it during the course of the movie. Oh yeah, Kong um, shows up on on some like computer screens and looking at all the different monsters, and then there's that part at the end where they they show like a picture of you know Kong about to fight um, yep. Godzilla from like you know an old painting or whatever it was. So yeah, no, they, they're hyping it. Yeah, yeah, an old cave painting. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> doing that. All right, let's take a break. We'll be back. We're going to talk further. Uh, with Mark about all of this, because I I just think that Godzilla was not given the respect it should have been given. And if you're a Godzilla fan, I'm just telling you, do not miss this movie. It is fun. Taking my grandson to it tomorrow night. I'm going to see it the second <laughs> time. Anyway, it's Dave Ellswick's show. We're back with you in just a moment. All right, back with you, Dave Ellswick's show. We've been th- talking about Godzilla. Uh, you could take a kid to see uh, uh, Godzilla. I... I Maybe eight years old and older. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's giant monsters. That stuff's for kids. I mean, it's not. So the first Godzilla movie, the 2014 one, I mean, uh, that one, I would I won't say is taxing for a kid because it has long it's stretches slow. of yeah of slowness. This one, a kid is going to be very entertained. They aren't going to get bored and they're probably going to be very excited. I wouldn't say it's scary. I mean, there's intense imagery and stuff, but it's it's giant monsters. They're not going to be. Yeah, they know that it. those aren't <laughs> hanging around in their backyard yeah, or under their bed. Yeah, it's not it's not a Freddy versus Jason movie. Yeah, kind of thing. yeah, that, that that's exactly right. But yeah, you I think your uh, your grandkids or stuff they'll like it. And, you know, the, the cool part, you'll like it. Exactly. That's the thing. You'll like it. You'll like it a lot. Because a lot of us, you know, that are probably older than 45 grew up on uh, either Saturday night late TV or Sunday morning early TV watching Godzilla movies. Godzilla versus uh, Megalon. I remember that was the one yep. that I saw all the time. That one was on Mystery Science Theater 3000 back when I was a kid. <laughs> they used to oh. play all that stuff. All I still think TV stations screw up by not doing their own local type shows like yeah, that shane and i have been we've been pushing it we we'd like to yeah. do a show like that and uh, you know look i'm not 
Cassandra Peterson by any stretch <laughs> of the imagination, but I think that we could show you some some movies that you would actually I, think are so horrible, but they're funny. Yeah, I mean, so what you're talking about is like you know the uh, the local like uh, public access spook show kind of thing. And I mean, so I I was born in '85, so I was a kid in the early '90s, and um, I, I grew up in Northern Virginia. And our public public access you know late night horror show was spooky movie television hosted by uh, Doctor Sarcophagi. And I know exactly the kind of thing you expect from that sort of show. Yeah, they showed yeah. public domain, black and white horror movies like Night of the Living Dead and Cabinet of Dr. Calgary. Sure. That was where I watched those things. You know, it was on uh, Saturday nights on Falls Church public broadcasting at like 10 o'clock at night. And yeah, no, I, I love those. Um, and then, you know, there's like Mystery Science Theater 3000, which is a nationally uh, syndicated one. has been around Sven forever. Gooley, yep. He's been around and, and, and uh, uh, you Elvira. Know, if you Elvira. lived in Los, if you lived in L.A. back then, I think that she was local to that. But yeah, she was. And those were always a lot of fun, but they're kind. Of, it's kind of a dead medium now. You know, people yeah, don't really do it anymore. But I think that you could still resurrect it. And, oh yeah, and and do that. But yeah, all my favorite old science, Japanese Toho. Japanese uh, movie is The Mysterians. The Mysterians. I, yeah, that's one of my I love too, The with, Mysterians. Uh, with Mogera, the giant robot. Yeah. yeah. And, and all the um, the space aliens, the Mysterians themselves, the space aliens, but they're in like color-coordinated like jumpsuits with uh, color-coordinated helmets. They look like Power Rangers. Yeah. It's, uh, but it's, it's such a that's fun a movie. It's a Japanese yeah. thing. I mean, it just, just is because they're so regimented that they do it that <laughs> oh, way. Oh, yeah. One of my favorite um, old Toho ones is uh, Matango, the yeah. mushroom people. Like, that's that one's a good a, one. Yeah, that's a straight up horror movie and that one's really uh really nasty <laughs> when we come back we'll i'll mention one other one to you that i i to this day think it's one of the best ones that they made all right we got news that we got to get to then we got another you know 25 minutes we'll talk about godzilla and some other things as we continue on the dave ellswick show and hey, don't forget about pi roofing home solutions they now will make sure that your gutters are kept clean with the highest quality gutter cleaning service around central arkansas they purchased Tommy's Gutter Cleaning Services, and for those customers, you're going to get better gutter cleaning services than you've ever gotten. And for you who are looking for a great uh, company that will do this, PI Roofing and Home Solutions just proved to you that uh, they're no fluke. I mean, they've been doing the comprehensive roofing uh, for homes and businesses here in the central Arkansas area now uh, well over uh, a decade, and they do now a home repair uh, service as well, which means you get a leak in your roof. They fix the roof, and then you got to get the leak uh, stuff that's been uh, torn up, like your your ceiling or maybe some mold that's between uh, the walls on the back side of the drywall. Well, typically a contractor doesn't, you know, a big contractor is not going to take that job. It's just not big enough for them. But PI Roofing and Home Solutions, this is their calling. They they work for the the average schmo like you and me, and so they'll come out and do it without any problem and give you some per- perfect home repair expertise. You can learn more by going to their website. That's piroofing.com, piroofing.com. Mark is here with us. Pellegrini, right? Hey, what's up? Did I get it right? Pellegrini. Make sure I get it right. He is with us. I, I like uh, Mark coming in and talking because... He's like my professor of movies. He he puts a lot of he puts a lot of thought, like Tim Lim does. He puts a lot of thought into what is being you know thrown at you. Uh, and where Godzilla was so good in that 
they didn't come off overtly trying to give you some kind of storyline that they were pushing on you. Dark Phoenix does. I haven't seen Dark Phoenix, and I'll be honest, I don't want to see Dark Phoenix. Okay. <laughs> it just, everything about it You'll like. No, I'm going to be oh, honest yeah. with you. You'll like the last 40 minutes of it when Magneto is doing battle and stuff. It's pretty good. That's usually the only good parts of most X-Men movies. Yeah. Is when the, that's the only time the Eric X-Men movies are like this. the comics, you know, is when the characters are doing their, their superhero, their superpowers, you know, that's when it feels like a comic See, now, book, I think, but, don't you <laughs> think that Fassbender was better than Ian McKellen? Uh, no, so I saw the first X-Men movie, 2000, on my 15th birthday. Okay. And I had grown up in the early 90s God, watching you make the, me feel old. I know. I feel pretty old, too. <laughs> 2000 doesn't feel like it was 19 years ago, but yeah. it was. But, um, no, I, I grew up in the early 90s watching, you know, the, the early 90s X-Men cartoon on Fox and everything. Yeah. So I do have a certain affection for those early X-Men movies, those Brian Singer ones with Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart and, and all of them. So, I mean, I can't really get over that. But I like Fassbender, and I, and I liked uh, McAvoy as Professor X as well. They're I good. think he does very well in that part. Yeah, I mean, they weren't miscast. They weren't badly cast. Um, they're playing very different versions of the characters yep. than um, Stewart and McKellen. So, I mean, I don't really I don't really compare them. I think both are good for what they did. Um, the timeline is bizarre now. I mean, Fassbender has, what, eight years to become Ian McKellen now, <laughs> according yeah. to this timeline. So, yeah, it doesn't really make sense anymore. But, you know, it hasn't made sense since, what, Wolverine Origins. <laughs> yeah, that's that's another thing. I don't understand. Well, I do understand. It's a money thing. But Wolverine became, like, the most popular X-Men of it all. And that wasn't the case with we who were reading the comics. No, I mean, so it's funny because uh, Wolverine was not an original X-Men, as most people know that. He wasn't. Um, he didn't join the team until um, the Claremont and Byrne era of the, the late 1960s, early 1970s. And even when he did, he was just a member of the team. Yes. He was not the focal character. He was not the main character. He may have eventually become the most popular, but through the 70s, through the 80s, I mean, he got a spinoff comic in the 80s, but he was still just a member of the team. It really wasn't until the 90s that, based on the cartoon, obviously, he just took over and then when the movies happened and the movies became wolverine and the x-men yeah then that, it was just that's what it was yeah and it just became the wolverine show and you know he overshadowed all the the other characters and i mean the recent x-men movies as bad as they are they haven't really had wolverine in them first class he was in there for five seconds um days of future past you yeah he was a major character in that but apocalypse he was only in it for a couple minutes right thank god for that yeah and that was a bad movie <laughs> yeah and he wasn't in um, Phoenix at all, I'm, I'm assuming. No. So, yeah, so, I mean, these recent movies haven't included him. The Deadpool movies haven't included him. So, I mean, they've been making X-Men movies pretty much without Wolverine for the past few years now. They just haven't been well, good. Well, Deadpool 2, he was in there momentarily. But oh, he was, yeah, it was not footage. actually him. It was just a clip from... From that, yeah, that's right. And so, uh, yeah, and, like, Deadpool 1 had that cutout mask that he wore you know, as, a, as a goof. <laughs> but, I mean, he... They, they've been, he hasn't really been the the focal point of an X Men of an X Men movie, not Logan, but an X Men movie since uh, Days of Future Past, right? And that was yeah, like the last one. So you can make X Men movies without him. Well, you got Logan. I yeah, mean, yeah. I mean, Logan. I mean, that's that's got an X Men yeah, connection. Yeah, it's part of the the cinematic universe, but I wouldn't really call that an X Men movie because yeah. the X Men aren't in it. Um, so yeah, you, you you can make X Men stories without Wolverine. It's just that he's so marketable. It's kind of like, well, why would you want to? I guess. Did you see who is supposed to be the next Wolverine? Uh, no, who is it? The guy from uh, 
what was that, uh, the movie with the motorcycle guys on television that they did? I'm trying to think. Mm-hmm. It was on FX. Uh-huh. It was about the, all about the motorcycle riders. Oh, I know which one you're talking about. Yeah. I, I can't think of the title because I never it's, watched uh, it. So. It's, and then he went on, to, this guy went on to play King Arthur a few years. Oh, and that really bad yeah, movie yeah. that didn't, yeah. Hoonan, 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 or whatever uh, his name is. He's, well, he's going to be the new Wolverine. Hey, maybe he can pull it off. I mean, Hugh Jackman played the character for, let's see, Logan was 2018, right? So he played yeah. it for 18 years straight. That's a tough act to follow. But someone's got to do it, so we got to give somebody a chance. I mean, people have been complaining it's about like Bond. I mean, it's <laughs> tough to take over. Yeah, I mean, people are giving Pattinson a really hard time about being the next Batman because he was in Twilight. But I'll, I'll, I'll tell I'll you a secret. Hold. Yeah, I didn't watch Twilight because I'm not a little girl, so yeah. <laughs> I have, I have no. Um, and I don't glitter. Yeah, I don't have any any <laughs> experience with Pattinson's acting. Uh, maybe he's good. I mean, geez, uh, Michael Keaton was great as Batman. Before mm-hmm. he did Batman, he was what, Mr. Mom? He was a comedian. Yeah. Uh, he was Beetlejuice, but he wasn't obviously a superhero, but he did great as Batman. Um, Bruce Willis in Die Hard. Before Die Hard, he was in Moonlighting. He was a comedian, but he yeah. did great as an action hero. So maybe Pattinson, um, even though he only did you know tween romance movies, maybe he can be a good Batman. Just give him a chance. Someone's got to do it. Have you heard that M. Night is thinking about continuing on uh, his series uh, of Glass and all of that? Well, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised because, I mean, who else has given that guy any any jobs right now? I heard uh, so Glass didn't do very good, did it? It did all right. It did all right? It did all yeah. right at the theater. It was okay. It was a pretty good movie. Yeah. I have to say that uh, the second one was the best one with McElroy mm-hmm. as as uh, having the, all the split personalities oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah, all yeah. that. Uh, that was really good, and the first one wasn't bad. And, and I, I mean, thought it was—he developed a pretty good story arc out but, of it. Yeah, Unbreakable was back when you know M Night was kind of like fresh and new, and he was the hip new director, and his um, whole twist gimmick hadn't really you know <laughs> worn, worn itself out. out. Yeah, and so, he hadn't done the, what was it called—the woman in the pool or uh, whatever. A lady in the water, I think. <laughs> yeah. I like calling it the woman. Woman in the, in pool. the pool. Yeah, he yeah, hadn't that done that, that awful Avatar: The Last Airbender movie. Oh. He hadn't done uh, that's that the happening. one that about destroyed his career. Oof, that, I mean, that was a terrible movie. It was just, and it shouldn't have been. No, um, it. Well, that's a perfect example of having it, too much money. Yeah, too much money, but it was just a pointless movie because all it did was take the the first season of the cartoon. And basically turn it into a clip show to fit it into two hours, and but it didn't really deviate enough from what the cartoon did, so you could just go watch the cartoon and get a better experience. The movie didn't change anything in any positive way or any meaningful way. It, it was just a pointless excursion. As well as CGI had not yeah. reached the zenith that it is now. I mean, no. when you look at Godzilla, that CGI was oh, incredible. I mean, yeah, in uh, that last Airbender movie, they hadn't even mastered water, so when everyone's doing their little water bending, it just looked really bad. But I mean, I don't need to tell anybody that movie's bad. It's kind of um, famous for being terrible. Okay, movie I meant to mention that we had. We were talking about Toho. We were talking about Japanese cinema, and when I'd mentioned uh, uh, the what was it, uh, the one with people from Mysterians, Saturn, the Mysterians. Yeah. Uh, was the H-Man. The H-Man's Which was great, a takeoff yeah. on the blob. Yeah, but I mean, we were just talking about it. Uh, the original Godzilla was a takeoff on the beast from, you know, 20,000 Fathoms. Yeah. 
and it was its own thing and it was just as good. So that's that's one of the things Toho was really good at was they would see what America was doing and like, okay, let's do that for um, 180th of the budget and make it good. What do you think it would have been like if they had gotten serious and went to Harry Harryhausen and said, we want to do this Godzilla? Godzilla and stop brought motion. him over and did it in stop motion. Well, I mean, I think it would be interesting, but it would have lacked all the personality and everything that makes Godzilla Godzilla because obviously he'd be able to move like a realistic animal, at least in stop motion. He could work in ways that a person in a suit couldn't. There would be much less of him on screen because of the expense of doing that, and there probably yeah. be less sequels too. So I don't think – God, so why why isn't there a uh, beast from twenty thousand fathoms? You know, f- cinematic franchise, and why aren't we watching that in good, theater right now? Good point. No, um, God, there's something unique. So I don't think Harry <laughs> wanted to do a more than one. He, no, he did no. one of one, and then he was done. Exactly. I mean, so but that's the thing is that it didn't have obviously the legs or the impact or the interest to make a huge franchise, or the uh, obviously the budgetary constraints to make a huge franchise. But Godzilla did. So I mean, if Godzilla had been anything else, we wouldn't be watching King of the Monsters right now. First two movies I remember from Harryhausen were uh, was it the Valley of Guanji? Was that yeah, that was, what the, it was called? the dinosaur one. Yeah, yeah I like that. Mm-hmm. That was done really cowboys and dinosaurs. Cow- yeah. I mean, that's throwing really those good. lassos over those like raptors and allosauruses. Yeah. I love that scene. Yeah. It was really good stuff. And then the Black Scorpion. Uh, the Black Scorpion. So that's um that one I think is the only Harryhausen one that made it onto Mystery Science Theater because it's so goofy. But it was also one of the best episodes because it's an entertaining movie. So it's, I, it's got some scary moments. It does. In it. I mean, it's black and white, and Harryhausen yeah. um, is mostly known for his color movies. But you know, the, the black and white actually helped the atmosphere of that one for the silly monster. That guy that's <laughs> up on the power lines and it just plucks him right <laughs> off of the power lines. That was pretty good. That was I love good it when the time. The best parts of giant monster movies to me are when the giant monsters notice the human. Because yeah. that's the only time it actually gets a little scary. When they're just stomping around the city and you're ants to them and they don't notice you, that's right. fine. But when they actually, like, pick you out, and like, I'm going to get that guy <laughs> yeah. down there, you know, that makes you feel pretty mm, vulnerable. Is that like a chocolate-covered cherry? Yeah, <laughs> let me give that a try. All right, we'll be back. We'll finish it up when we we come back here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Uh, talk about some other movies that are that are out. I have not seen Rocket Man, but I've heard nothing but good things about that movie. And uh, I haven't seen Brightburn. Have you seen it yet? I have not seen Brightburn. I don't. I mean, I've heard people tell me to go see it. Uh, Zach told me a couple weeks ago when I was here to go. And see I've heard it, it's so. really good. That's what I've I've heard. But I have There's a lot of them that they dropped all at once. Well, that are all out there now. The one, um, the trailer just dropped for, and I really want to see it. It's the scary stories to tell in the dark movie. Um, that's supposed to be produced good. By Del Toro. It looks like it's going to be really good, at least visually. So I have high hopes for that one. And. That is always a question when it comes to Del Toro. His movies always look beautiful. They just aren't always good movies. (laughs) That's right. All right. We got more for you when we come back here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Hey, don't forget about my friends, uh, Dwayne Smith's insurance agency. They're ready to help you out. We talked about how uh, they all ride motorcycles over there. So if you need motorcycle insurance, they can help you out. They understand what you need, what you don't need and uh, can save you some money that way. And no matter what it is, as far as is it home insurance, is it uh, you know life insurance, your motorcycle, you're uh, talking about your boat or whatever, uh, they are the people to talk to uh, to help you out. For instance, what you should do is give them a call, uh, 501-819-0373. That's 501-819-0373. Make an appointment. Take over your insurance policies. 
sit down with one of the professionals over at uh, Dwayne Smith's insurance agency and let them compare your policy, what, what they're doing, and let them show you how they can get you better coverage, uh, probably at less uh, cost to yourself. So just give them a call, 501-819-0373, and then go uh, spend some time at 3920 East Keel Avenue in Sherwood. That is Dwayne Smith's insurance agency. With that said, I got uh, one more segment here with Mark uh, uh, Pellegrini. We, we're glad to have him on the air. He he knows his stuff when it comes to horror. I can tell you that. Oh, thank you. I think you've seen about every horror movie made. You're like me. You like that stuff. <laughs> I yeah, I've got a pretty huge collection of horror movies, and I won't lie. So many right. wasted years. Nah, that's not wasted. That's good stuff. Do you got do you got a uh, got yourself uh, set up for Shutter? Have you checked it out yet? Um, so Shutter, I I want to I want to because uh, we we're talking about horror hosts a little while ago, and Billy one, Bob Briggs, exactly. Buddy. Joe Bob Briggs was my yeah. guy back. So TNT's Monster Vision, I watched that every Sunday night. It's good. Yeah, even in those waning years when TNT was making him play non-horror movies like Look Who's Talking and yeah. stuff, I still watched it because that guy is really funny. I met him at um, Arkansas Comic Con last year because he's an Arkansas native. So, yeah, he's a, he's a great guy. He's like seven feet tall in person. Is um, he really? He's oh, that yeah, tall, huh? he's humongous. Yeah, but, yeah, he's got a show on Shutter now. It's um, Last Call with Joe Bob Briggs. Um, it's basically uh, TNT's Monster Vision just all over again. He does his uh, drive-in totals. He does every, his commentary, his letters, his um, his mail girl, everything. So, yeah, I, I would I would get a subscription to that just for him. But they've also got, um like, new Critters movies and a new Critters yeah, TV Yeah, there series. is a new Critters movie, yeah. Yeah, and I might have to check it out just for some of those originals. So, yeah, it's, it's um, a good service. Because those were good movies. And the Critters the movies? Critters stuff. I, I love those Critters movies. I loved them as a kid. And I, and I rewatched uh, the first one, you know, and I, that's an anytime movie. Critters and Tremors are anytime movies. That's true. I can true. put those in and watch them whenever. That, <laughs> and you're right. They are anytime movies movies no doubt about that so what uh what are you looking ahead at i think we were speaking during the break and you're like me you're kind of interested in rambo five i am um especially so you you just told me that uh sylvester Stallone is republican yes, or conservative he he's a huge conservative I, so man i i if that's the case then i'm really interested in uh, rambo five because that's rambo versus the cartel and yes, they're not gonna and if they don't pull any punches on what the cartel is and what they do and the human trafficking and everything else they bring across the border and they're gonna have rambo just massacring those guys then yeah that's something <laughs> i want to go see well i can tell you <laughs> have you seen have you watched the trailer i watched the trailer oh, and that got me man. pumped and he's walking he's got his big old mm -hmm. knife and it's good stuff it just it's just going to be a typical Rambo movie. Well, it, the title of it, Last Blood. So obviously it's you know trying to do a parallel as a book ending with First Blood, the original Rambo yeah. movie. And that one wasn't even him going to a foreign land and fighting a war. That was just him in America fighting some very un-American people. So this one is basically as a book ending chapter. I think just narratively it sounds like it really fits. Where it's the last Rambo movie and it's him in America fighting some very un-American people. Yeah, I just like how he says they think that they've brought. They brought the killing. They have no idea, and it, and it's it's Stallone, you know, delivering the lines, which are just fan. He, he's just great. He's so, he's so many. He's, I heard that he's going to do another. Um, what was that movie that he did where he had the girl and he was hiding her? She was a 
She was a witness and Cobra. Oh, Cobra. Wow. Another Cobra another, movie. Another Cobra wow, movie. Wow. That's um. That has to be a passion project because that's like the movie nobody asked for. Maybe nobody knew they wanted until they got I it. I saw it and loved Cobra it. Cobra was like um. Cobra felt like it was the Punisher movie that wasn't a Punisher movie back back in the day. It's it's um. So Cobra is not. Per, it's like Commando tier. You know, it's yeah. not up there with you know Rambo or Terminator, but it's not like a bottom of the barrel act, 80s action movie. It's right there with Commando. You know. As a, as a good 80s action movie that people kind of underrate. Last movie I asked because I'm excited about this. I like what I've been seeing from uh, a lot of the trailers and material scene. I am getting excited and stoked about the next Terminator movie. Ooh, I feel like I've been burned by that franchise way oh, too I many am. times. I, I, I tell just you, don't bringing know. Linda Hamilton back, yeah, that gets me excited. And have you seen the latest uh, trailer? Uh, I where she gets out Did of the I? truck and she's got... Was the, that a trailer or a teaser? I can't No, recall. she got the trailer yeah. now. I know. It's, oh, I it's good. It, yeah. it so, looks good. We're, we're talking about that. I mean, that's one thing I think Stallone deserves some credit for is that he brought back the Rocky movies and they've been consistent. Rocky Balboa, Creed 1 and 2. He brought back the Rambo movies with Rambo 4 and this next one. They've been consistent. Yep. He's much better at it than... Honestly, like um, Bruce Willis with those last couple Die Hard movies that have just been But Cameron awful. is bringing back Terminator. I know. Well, but Cameron also gave his personal seal of approval to Terminator Genesis. You know, nah. so like this guy can be paid off to approve anything. <laughs> I mean, he's not above that. You know, the guy who gave us all all those artsy movies, all those Titanics and Avatar. He's not yeah. above getting paid off for that kind of stuff. Well, he's got a bunch of Avatars in the can, evidently. <laughs> he's had how many years to make those movies? Yeah, yeah, I agree. And he was married to Hamilton. Did, oh, yeah. did she offer something to get him? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, we'll t- I've got to take a break. We'll be back with you next week. Thanks so much for coming was, in, Mark. That's I appreciate always a great you. Time. Real quickly, let me tell you, don't forget about what David Lucas has going on next week. Tuesday and Thursday, he has two of his uh, Social Security benefits uh, seminars that's going to come up so that you can wring all the money out of your benefits for Social Security. These Social Security educational workshops, 20 bucks. What you need to do is uh, check them out. It's a two-hour workshop. Make claiming your benefits simple and easy. And let me tell you, if he can do that, he's done a major, major thing. I just started my Social Security. was not easy. Registration, 20 bucks includes a 34-page maximizing Social Security Workbook, the number to call, 501-653-6690. Remember, God gave you a whole week of life. Give him one hour this weekend. I'll see you Monday, 2 o'clock. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.